Wrestling Geeks Happy Halloween and hello! Welcome to another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, the weekly show in which me and my co-host Christopher Brother Ray Patton break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and go over the shows and give you some reviews. Like I said, happy Halloween to everyone out there because that's when we're recording this, but in general, it's the Halloween season and uh, love this holiday. It's always wonderful. As you know, I don't think I've displayed my love for horror movies, especially in the past with the uh, 80s and 70s and 90s. Um, and now, uh, I, I've always been a big horror fan, and also you've heard me say on the show before, if you are a past listener, uh, which, welcome to new listeners, you're in for a scare, or whatever the fuck Goosebumps used to say. Uh, I love the some of the horror-based or scarier gimmicks that have gone on in wrestling, including The Undertaker and and great Muda and so many more. But uh, we got a great show for you guys. Uh, apologize. Just a heads up. This is one show that we're putting out. Uh, it should be out by Sunday, maybe Monday. And uh, it's going to be a larger show. We're going to go over uh, the pay-per-view, Hell and Cell. I have a lot of good things and a couple uh, things I don't really care for. Uh, once we get into that, uh, we're going to go over the Wednesday shows. Um, and we have some news items. And, uh, yeah, it should be a really great show. Uh, we'll get back the shows to normal, hopefully next week. I keep on saying that and something happened. Uh, we had uh, Hurricane Zeta, I believe, or Zelda or whatever the fuck it's called, that came through Georgia uh, Thursday and put me without power uh, until Sunday. So I had to go over to my brother's house to do this. He was out uh, going to a wedding. So kudos to him for making this possible because we might not have any show, and that would be a travesty. But uh, after completely word vomiting all that out, like I said, thank you, new listeners and old listeners. Uh, new listeners and old listeners will know, like I said, my co-host is Christopher Brother Ray Patton. Thank you, sir, for joining me. How are you doing? A little tired, but uh, I'm here. I'm good. I'm excited for Halloween, as always. It's uh, one of my favorite holidays, probably the favorite. It's the, it's the one where you get to dress up and be a creep and watch horror movies, so that's... That's high on my list of things, and, and we got some good wrestling this week, so I'm doing swell, man. Excited to talk. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love Halloween because it might be my favorite, but it also starts off the holidays, and during the disgruntled period where it gets cold as fuck, uh, it's nice uh, – well, until January. Uh, it's nice to have some of these holidays that kind of bring me back to being a kid. Some people are not into them as much, but uh, I love horror and scary stuff. I love – eating and i also love uh christmas and all that type of nonsense so uh this will be a fun show but uh before we get into the 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 fun if you will uh we had a another unfortunate death uh in the wrestling industry tracy smothers uh known from many many different promotions uh smoky mountain was probably primarily one of the bigger ones uh, that he was in early wcw also uh part of the southern boys with uh, Scott Armstrong, uh, ECW, and then he's kind of just been a teacher floating around uh, between smaller promotions. And 
I know some people might not be as aware with his his body of work. They might have heard his name. Uh, you know, Jim Cornette often talks about him. A lot of wrestlers do. But this is a guy I, I kind of I, I made a list of wrestlers that kind of represent the same type of concept that he was the industry. And, you know, a lot of times they can be perceived as as uh, good in ring hands. But I don't put that on necessarily that type of concept. They're actually just molded teachers. Uh, they're great wrestlers. You can throw them in the ring with anyone. But, you know, Tracy helped out people in WCW. I mean, just like like Austin right off the bat, uh, Dustin, a lot of the guys that were younger then, he helped out uh, contributing in, in, in uh, Smoky Mountain, obviously, uh, in ECW, the whole entire roster, basically. Um, and then later on, you know, you see everyone on Twitter that said stuff about his passing, whether or not be, you know, Several words, uh, several pages from Edge and CM Punk, uh, Samoa Joe, uh, you know, the Ring of Honor, Honor crew, that whole entire era. Um, his his uh, one of his uh, whatchamacallit uh, students and one of his highest students, Chris Hero. A lot of guys between multiple generations of wrestlers looked to Tracy Smothers as a coach, as a teacher. And, you know, it's kind of very similar to I think how people perceive in the industry, people like Terry Taylor, William Regal, Chris Candido, Brad Armstrong, Fit Finley, Jerry Lynn, Lance Storm, uh, Tom Pritchard, and Chris Hero included uh, in this type of realm. And, you know, they kind of just help mold people and wrestlers for the next generation and give. I mean, that's what they do. They, they try to put over the person. Two wrestling matches, I definitely... Recommend. I don't. I don't claim to be an expert on Tracy Smothers, but Southern Boys versus the Midnight Express, Great American Bash, 1990, incredible tag team match, uh, just a lot of fun. And also Tracy Smothers uh, for the, I believe the uh, ECW TV title against Rob Van Dam, where he had uh, uh, what you call it, Tommy Rich in his corner. Great match, great classic ECW match, but. If you get a chance to, that's wonderful about the network. You can find a lot of his work if you want to check it out. He was just a great wrestler and a very giving teacher. And, uh, you know, after Animal a couple weeks ago and just his age, dying of lymphoma and is in his uh, late 50s, you know, it's it's a uh, very sad, very sad passing. So rest in peace and, uh, you know, just sending love from Geek Vibes Nation to the family of Tracy Smothers. Um, Chris, give me some words and, uh, we'll, uh, you know, dedicate a 10 second salute for the, uh, the gentleman. Yeah, uh, obviously I'm probably most familiar with his work in Smoky Mountain in the ECW, mostly with the full-blooded Italians. I think it's a very unique and interesting career. He's a guy that's obviously touched a lot of wrestlers. If you look at the outpouring of support and love for Tracy some others that we saw on Twitter from pretty much everyone. I mean, the guy, like you said, trained and worked with so many people in so many different places, but, you know, starting kind of in NWA and WCW, then going to Smoky Mountain as a top guy, then being in a very successful tag team and having the run against the Midnight Express to being kind of a mid-level guy in ECW. It's, it's a very fascinating career. 
the more and more you kind of look at it. But yeah, it, like you said, I think you you put it best and gave some good matches out there. But yeah, rest in peace, Tracy's mother's definitely sending well and warm wishes to his family and friends. And uh, as we usually do, we'll give 10 seconds of respect for Tracy. All right, let's move on. Uh, we got a couple of news items. The uh, wrestling news roundup uh, that I started doing last week. I'm going to implement usually on the shows to kind of go over a couple different things in the world of wrestling. And just, you know, we talk about it all at once. So the first big thing I think that we should talk about, Jake Hager in Bellator, 250, defeating Brandon uh, Kelton in a split decision match. Uh, good for Jake Hager. Good for the inner circle and AEW just in general to have that type of legitimacy. They've been kind of advertising it on their show. So obviously it's going to be good if he gets a win. I will say that it's going to be a while. He's still got to bring up his record, uh, obviously. But if he ever gets to the heavyweight championship in Bellator, and Bellator obviously has somewhat of a relationship with AEW, that is only, and this would be, you know, when the next year I would assume if you can build yourself by then. That would be the only time I'd really want to see the title anytime soon, the AEW title, back on Chris Jericho. Because the image in my head of Chris with that title, Sammy with the, the you know, depending on if they break up by then, obviously. But if they're still together, you know, Sammy with the TNT title and LAX uh, with the tag team championships, that's a very cool concept. And I think Bellator and AEW would appreciate that visual, basically. But uh, good job, Hager. Uh, Walter retained his NXT UK championship against Ilya Dragunov in a 30-minute match that's on the last NXT UK. There's not a lot on there. I would just go straight to that match. It's fucking brilliant. They beat the living shit out of each other. By the end of it, Ilya Dragunov's mouth was completely busted open, just bleeding from his lips and just inside his mouth, uh, you know, Walter was cut, his chest was friggin' destroyed, and Ilya Dragunov's chest and back looked like hamburger meat, but just a fucking badass match. Ilya Dragunov actually kicked out of two clotheslines and the powerbomb. Walter would then, you know, do his splash and still not be able to put him away. Uh, Ilya Dragunov gave his finisher to Walter. Walter got out of uh, both of them, actually, uh, reversed the second one. Um just a really, really just hard-hitting match, European style. Uh, takes you also back to, uh, you know, all Japan pro wrestling. Just very nasty match, and uh, Walter's still the champ. And uh, awesome. I'm wondering who they're going to put in the position next against him. I wouldn't mind a series with Ilya Dragunov. I know I think Tyler Bates getting over an injury. Um, I know that they have their, their competition going on right now that I could see uh, Severn uh, winning. Uh, or seven, yeah, yeah, uh, winning. So that'll be interesting. Obviously, Pete Dunn's in NXT, so maybe Ben Carter, now that he got signed to NXT UK, who made a splash over at AEW, might be putting in that position. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, we have announced that Triple Mania is going to be Kenny Omega versus Laredo Kid for the Mega Championship. Uh, pretty cool. I'm wondering if Laredo Kid was put in there due to Phoenix being a bit injured. So um, I don't know. Maybe maybe he's going to get over, you know, it was only a, a minor head injury, neck injury, so maybe that isn't the reason they always had him in the 
you know, running, but I don't know. Marty Skrull removed from the Ring of Honor roster. He was already taken off as head booker. Uh, Delirious was put in his place. Uh, you know, we, we know the situation of what happened. Uh, Kylie Ray, uh, she pulled a no-show for Bound, of, Bound for Glory. That's the reason why she wasn't there. She was actually in Nashville, decided not to go. She's had a history of, uh, you know, anxiety issues, uh, mental illness issues. And, you know, this is the same thing that caused her from leaving AEW. I hope her well wishes. Uh, but at this point, unfortunately, it's becoming somewhat of a liability. Uh, apparently, Impact's going to keep her. Uh, but it just uh, it sucks with that situation. I'm someone that suffers from stuff like that uh, with bipolar disorder. So I know how that is. I do many different things between meditation and also medication that my doctor gave me. And sometimes it seems like she kind of goes by her faith and I have no problem with anything like that. Obviously, if you're a spiritual person, I'm not so much, but you know, no problem with you. This kind of just harpens back a bit to how I feel about the Von Erics and their tragedy of how they tried to make religion a cause or a reasoning of not trying to get actual help and you had that whole series of just terrible tragedies. I'm not saying anything that for that for Kylie. I'm just saying that I understand. I wish that she would just go get help, basically. And she's a really good wrestler in the ring, so it's unfortunate. Uh, last uh, bit of news. WWE pulls Sting for merch. Uh, he's already done with his, his deal with them. And uh, I'm hoping that we get to see him in some way, now that he's, his contract's completely out with WWE, show up at AEW, just in some position. Um it would be a huge moment to have him back in some capacity. Let me know if you want me to repeat anything, Chris. Uh, we got Hager with Bellator, Walter and Dragunov at NXT UK, uh, Triple Mania, Omega going against the Laredo Kid, Marty Scroll being removed from the Ring of Honor roster, Kylie Ray pulling a no-show for Bound for Glory, and Sting being pulled from the WWE merch, signifying the last amount of involvement that he has with WWE in his Legends contract. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start from the Bellator fight. Um, the Bell that fight itself with with Jake Hager, I thought was a really good fight. For the most part, there's still some weaknesses um, in his fighting style. Like for instance, he leaves himself open quite a bit. But the two guys, they beat the shit out of each other. I had Jake Hager winning round one and round three, so him winning by a split decision wasn't surprising. I would recommend everyone go watch it. It is free. It's up on YouTube, so you can watch the entire event, which was really fun. It was, it was a pretty good night of fighting. So if you like mixed martial arts, definitely recommend it, and I agree with you. I think it would be really cool to see him get into the title picture in Bellator. I'm actually surprised that they gave him such a low-profile fight, but, I mean, his last fight, Dane, didn't it go – wasn't it just a DQ, basically, from nut yeah, shots? I, yep. <laughs> So that's one thing is in round three, he actually did hit this dude in the nuts. Um, <laughs> it's it's he's not trying to do it on purpose. I don't think he's just he's still not that trained with his. Boxing. Well, he is a heel. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you think Jericho told him to go give him a nut shot? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, I haven't had a chance to watch the Walter match, but I am looking forward to it based on what you just told me. So that that is something that's on my list of things to do. Both those guys are great, so I'm not surprised that they had a 30-minute banger. But uh, maybe that's what I'll do later today. Um, the Kylie Ray stuff, 
it's very unfortunate because it seems like this has happened to impact between having people get fired from allegations, having people just no show and not send them their title. Uh, <laughs> the thing with Kylie Ray seems like they've just had a string of bad luck as a company recently. Hopefully Kylie Ray gets better and can come back. I think they have done a good job handling the situation, but it's interesting to see where they're going to go with her, her character um, because she was getting pushed pretty heavily. And there's got to be a little bit of nerves there with them, uh, specifically after the Tessa Blanchard stuff. Yeah. And I think the last thing was Sting's merch getting pulled. Um, at this point, if you're if he's not actively going to be a part of the show, I don't think Sting really needs a Legends deal, you know. So if he just wants to take his merch and put it on ringside collectibles, he still owns all the rights to his own shit. So he Smart has that man. advantage. Yeah, he has the advantage that some other people on the Legends roster wouldn't have, which is he owns the name Sting, so he can go sell his shit. I'm just saying with that in general, it would be very interesting, and I'm sure the audience would go crazy. Um, if they wanted to do it, somewhat of a manager type of concept, not really a manager, but just, just for full gear itself. You got Darby, who a lot of people, even though we've kind of both said, maybe Crow's thing, but you're kind of just going based on the face paint and the fact that kids, it's it's a similar aspect, but that's about it. Darby's very different. Cody, obviously, is a huge sting mark. If, say, Sting, middle of the match, kind of showed up and just, you know, maybe lights go off, lights go on, he's at the ringside, and people are kind of wondering, like, what the hell is he going to do? You know, these guys kind of both have something for him, and he kind of, even if he helps out Darby in some way or something like that, and, and stays and has a, a, a thing with Cody or, or whatever, they could kind of have a really cool moment if they wanted to. Yeah, and I think there's tons of ways you could use him without it being in a wrestling capacity, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if he shows up, even if it's just for something. They've been teasing the time limit draw, um, and we know that for their pay-per-view championship matches, they don't allow a time limit draw. They have judges, so I could see him even being used in that capacity. Yeah, it would be awesome no matter what. You know, you see a lot of great legends on the show. I'm sure Sting in any type of level. And not only that, for any interaction that's physical, it's pretty good that Sting has a baseball bat as a uh, thing that he constantly brings to the ring. So all you got to do is a couple hits with that and it's over with. Uh, he doesn't even have to do anything or take any bumps. You know, just more of like for the type of – like a promo off between him and Cody would be fucking incredible. And Cody already obviously said many times that is a dream ideal concept for him to be able to be in the same ring as Sting and just – go back and forth with them since he can't really get in the ring anymore. So um, it is an awesome could, aspect itself. Yeah, I could I could also see him doing something with Jericho because Jericho's thing is also the bat. So there could, there's just a, fun, a ton of fun stuff you can do with Sting that doesn't require him to wrestle. Obviously, him and Cody is at the top of the list. And then next in line for me would be like him and versus the inner circle. Just causing some havoc. Calling just, him a cheap NWO ripoff or something. Yeah, and uh, then just whipping the shit out down of them. Groups like you. <laughs> yeah, basically, I think that would be interesting, especially if he ends up with, if he wants to have, if they want to do the Darby Sting thing, they could, um, as well. 
plenty of aspects that you can use him, I would say. All right, well, uh, let's get into some of our shows. Let's start off with the pay-per-view. I liked Hell in the Cell a lot, Chris, uh, mostly because of the three Hell in the Cell matches, uh, especially the first one and the second one. Uh, everything else is pretty much abysmal to me. But as far as a pay-per-view, once again, WWE, thanks for not having it fucking long as shit unnecessarily. And uh, I can't complain, especially about this first match. Well, there's a little bit of complaints, but much more minor. I thought that overall WWE provided another pretty solid pay-per-view for the majority of it, I would say. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same level as you. There wasn't anything that was just terrible on the show. I really liked the Roman match for the most part. I think it was a little slow in spots, but that's a a very small complaint for the story they were able to tell. But yeah, I think the obviously the two title matches in the Sasha and Bailey match, well, I guess the three title matches in the cell were definitely the highlight of the show. Yeah, I would definitely say so. And let's go right into it. This opens up with the I quit match in the hell of the cell. Um, I loved, I loved Jay's intensity and this will go to what happened last night on SmackDown since we're doing this on Saturday on Halloween. Um, he's shown, he's definitely raised his stock, like I said. So, uh, and I love the directions going into with that, but when it comes to this night, uh, you know, I loved Roman's little, uh, almost Thanos esque costume, I would say with the glove, the, it looked like the infinity gauntlet, uh, white and gold. He looked like a million bucks. Uh, the match itself was intense with Jay's offense and being so quick, obviously like a lot of, you know, high flyers, that was what puts him a bit over. And the fact that Roman knows him and, you know, it was a, it was a brutal match. It got to a point where Roman though got an advance and he was just taking pieces out of Jay. Like he was basically just talking shit. He wanted to, he wanted him not only to, to quit, and he was very confident about that, but kind of torture him a bit. Um, but when Jay wouldn't and refused to, this fueled Roman even more. And he was just ruthless to his own blood. And you had parts, which I love about Paul Heyman, which we've talked about. This is not a Brock Lesnar situation. This is a Roman Reigns situation. And the Tribal Chief, it's almost like Paul's like a peon to him. You know, he comes up, asks him what he needs him to do and stuff like that, and Roman sends him off, where legitimately he was kind of controlling Brock or at least feeding him into situations uh, with his kind of manipulation that he always does. He doesn't have that grasp on Roman. Roman wanted to be the uh, tribal chief. He wanted his brother or his cousins both to bow down to him. This would play into the ending where he gets him outside. He puts him right next to the, uh, you know, the 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 pole. uh side of the ring and then he does his move uh which we call it the uh not the roadblock but the um drive-by nails him into the post then takes the fucking stairs that one didn't look that bad you know and then he takes the stairs and does it again which looks so fucking vicious they stopped the match they raised the cage adam pierce and the referees are like what the hell are we gonna do he won't give up but he's like unconscious and shit and so roman ends up demanding and, and getting rid of a lot of these guys uh, and wants to proceed with the match. Uh, towards the end, you know, the Hell in the Cell does come back down, I believe. Or maybe it stayed up. I don't remember exactly. I just know that Jimmy Uso ultimately came out while he was destroying Jay. It was begging for his 
his brother's safety and, you know, being like, what the hell's wrong with you? Once again, what is wrong with you? This is the level you're going to go to. And Roman all of a sudden put on a, a great dramatic performance, actually. Um, good acting of, you know, looking like he really felt bad and that he was changing his ways and his realm of thoughts on this whole entire concept of what he did. It was all bullshit. And he lured Jimmy end up fucking choking his ass out. And finally, Jay seeing his brother in peril, realizing what he had to do for the second time, not really giving up himself, you know, circumstance. First, Jimmy threw in the towel for him. Uh, then Jay sees his brother getting destroyed and choked out and does the same thing. So just an awesome concept just the disdain of both of the cousins towards roman for what he did and what lengths he'll go to even with his own family was great and the fact that alpha and sika you know were at the top of the ramp these guys are two of the remaining left in the old legacy of wrestling you're talking about the 70s and and 60s you know and they definitely look old but they are old so you know them giving the the uh letting him be the tribal chief and putting the, not a lay, but it was a, a, a necklace of sorts on him signifying that and giving their approval. One being his father, one being the uncle. And the, the uncle is obviously the father of Rikishi, who is, it's their grandfather basically. So, you know, I thought this was all very well done. There was some slow spots. They definitely went off a little bit too much in the dramatic a- aspect and, and, and taking more theatrical ways it's it still worked, but you could have cut it out, I think, a bit. And the referee annoyed the shit out of me the whole entire time. Uh, you know, just I I don't know what he could have done to be better, but just ask him constantly, do you quit? Do you quit? Do you quit? Roman, what's wrong with you? You know, just get involved. It's a fucking I quit match. My last little gripe with the match was the fact that this did not need to be in a hell in a cell. There was no reason for us really to be there. Uh, there were spots that they, they smashed each other in the hell in the cell, but... You could have just had an I quit match and it really wouldn't have made a difference. And it kind of would have made the last two matches a bit more unique being Hell in the Cell matches. But overall, this I think is my favorite match. Either this or the second Hell in the Cell match that we'll talk about later on the card. Uh, Chris, what did you think? I think it was by far the best match of the, the night and it set the tone for the rest of the show, which is... I want to say it's a good thing, but it was also kind of a bad thing to some extent because no one yeah. else really got to the level that they got. Um, Roman looked like an absolute monster. He continues to be the best thing on their product. And man, the, the performance he put on and Jay put on in Jimmy to some extent was great, but completely overshadowed by Paul Heyman <laughs> and Heyman's disgust for what's happening and how he could not... Uh, no pun intended, but cannot rein in Roman Reigns. <laughs> he he has no control over this man once Roman decides he's going to destroy someone. Whereas in the past, we've seen him kind of be able to talk Brock down off the ledge, so to speak, where it seems like Roman does what Roman wants, which is great. And it was cool seeing Athens Sika there. But yeah, the only things I would say about the match, the ref was annoying. I probably would have had Little Nage do this match just because it's such yeah. a big match. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it was a little slow in spots. I think they could have cut some of it out. 
but it wasn't like it was never so bad that I'm just like, okay, can we get this over? You know, so um, yeah, easily the best thing on the show. Loving what they're doing with Roman so far. Absolutely, man. And I think that's the biggest thing is that they're, uh, dude, they're they elevated the guy that everyone said was never going to be able to be elevated. And uh, what what took that? Turning him heel. Weird. Um, anyways, let's go to the next match. We had Jeff Hardy going against Elias. I don't remember a good chunk of this match. Um, I just was overwhelmed because of what just happened previously with that match. It kind of sucked you out a little bit, like Chris said. Even though that's why I'm kind of like contemplating between the second Hell in the Cell match and that first one. By the time we even got to that, it was like, God, I mean, that was such a fucking performance. So, uh, anyways, I think it came down to Elias grabs his guitar, trying to get Hardy with it. Um, and then Hardy takes it from him and delivers the uh, shot over the back, shattering it. So, unfortunately, I think this is going to keep Mongo and Elias wins by DQ. And afterwards, a furious Hardy decks Elias again. While he's down, Elias music starts playing as Hardy walks off. The referee checks on Elias, who is face down and shaking in pain. Uh, really weird, actually, now that I remember. I do remember that aspect of him shaking. It's like, all right, good job selling, I guess. But, you know, Elias and shit. Right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, as much as I love Jeff Hardy, I, I hate this feud. I'm done with it. I think, you know, once he beat... Elias, that should have been it. Or once he hit him with the guitar. Then we just move past it. <laughs> but um, I don't know. They seem really behind the drifter. They want to do something with him. Having him work with Jeff, like it's not like they were having a bad match or anything. It's just there has to be better shit you can do with Jeff Hardy. You would think. You would definitely think <laughs> there's, there's something else. Ugh. I mean, he's it's not a, like I hate Elias, but, you know, he's a better character than anything else. I think that's the first big thing. And I mean, WWE has, you know, pissed on his fire 60 million times. So, well, yeah, and they've had him be babyface and heel and did the hot swap. And then he was out with injury. Um, I, they basically told us Jeff Hardy didn't hit him with a car, but they're still feuding for some unknown reason. Now we have Jeff selling the fact that Elias has gotten in his head and made him do these dastardly heel tactics like hitting him with a guitar and i'm just like do we need any of this shit and does anyone actually care because i feel like if you're a fan of either of these guys it's not helping either of them in any way no i i don't think so at all <sighs> what are you gonna do all right well <laughs> the next match you know, I, I told you this. I don't think you. I don't know if you feel the same way, but that looking back at the Law and Otis stuff, some of it was funny. I think that the, the reason why is because the segment that they had before the match showed you all the funny parts right back to back to back to back to back. So uh, that might add something to do with it. But uh, the match itself, Otis versus The Miz, or as I would say, Kmart version of Dusty versus Flair. Um, I I just don't care. You know, they have now Otis coming out as the working man's champion, and I forgot what his music was. It's like, all right. The biggest thing that happened, John Morrison tried to get involved in the match and uh, got kicked out when the referee saw him. And you thought Otis was, you know, this was it, this wasn't a bad match. This was a pretty good work match from what I remember. But 
you know, it's a level of excitement and care towards this. And I just didn't like the ending. It's like, just give Otis somewhat of a chance. Even if he's going to get squashed, instead of taking the fucking thing away from him, have him cash in, almost get there, and just lose. Because this didn't help him at all. Someone cut him off even before then in some stupid law segment by bribing the judge, who was JBL. There were so many aspects that were just silly. Anyways, at the end of it, Tucky would turn on Otis. Um, and caused the match for Otis, uh, you know, hitting him with the money in the bank briefcase, sending him into the, uh, the finisher of the Miz, the finale. I forgot what it's called exactly. Doesn't really matter. Afterwards, Tucker was interviewed and asked about it and kind of truthfully said, well, you know, he fucking left me, you know. This is this is bullshit. I've always been the the harder working person between the two of us, and just because he's funny and 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 talks, he gets all this you know acclaim and like what the hell am I gonna do? And then uh, Otis attacks him, and they start beating the living shit out of each other backstage. And uh, everyone was wondering, Chris, how are they gonna you know follow this up since they're both on separate. <laughs> separate rosters. Well, apparently WWE Vince McMahon forgot they were. So he, of course, put Tucker to SmackDown, trying to act like no one noticed. So we're going to get that feud in the future. So all in all, it kind of sucks for Otis. I don't really think Miz needs this. And we're reflecting literally back to the last time he had the Money in the Bank briefcase because Randy Orton is the champion. Oh, whatever. How'd you feel about all this? I'm with you. You might as well have just had Otis fire his shot because I, I don't think they're putting the title back on Miz. Right. So Miz is going to fail on his cash in, but it it's just insane to me that you would even go this route. And then it basically to set up a feud with people that aren't on the same fucking brand. <laughs> like Ugh. my guess is they're going to put them in the survivor series match on separate teams because they did fix that roster thing. So Tucky is still on Raw, even though he was not on the product this week. No follow-up at all to what he did at the pay-per-view. Just weird all around. The match itself I thought was pretty decent for an Otis and Miz match. I mean, I don't, they, they did all the stuff that I would expect those guys to do. There wasn't anything glaringly bad, but... I like I Otis mean, the worker. I like Miz too, but it was like, uh, can we get over this? Yeah, and, and I think, you know... Being that you have Roman Reigns, there's no reason why you couldn't have just had Otis cash in against Roman and lose. I mean, it wouldn't have hurt Otis to lose to that version of Roman Reigns. Like, he could have cashed in earlier in the night, which would have been really smart on his part if he cashed in before the match happened, because then there's nothing for him to lose. That's a good point. <laughs> like, when all of the shit was going down and there's 85 bazillion people in the ring... That would have been the perfect time for Otis to try to cash in, even if it ended with him getting just destroyed by Roman. But yeah, there's a hundred different ways they could have booked this that made it more interesting. And once again, I think this match suffers from where it was at on the card and the fact that they gave us the best match first with Roman. So it's just, it's overshadowed and it's very convoluted booking, which made me not like this as much as if it was just, if it was just those two having a match with no stipulation, I probably would have been like, that was a fine middle of the pay-per-view match. I agree with you. Do you like that Otis now the working man's wrestler and he's the blue collar solid is the name of his theme. 
Are they trying to, you know, uh, get Otis over like a certain other individual? Maybe they're going to put polka dots on him. Um, should uh, Otis start doing the uh, the elbow to the head? Well, I mean, they're doing that to some extent, but he's been doing that, right? Because in, in, in NXT, he was, I mean, they are, they were heavy machinery. Like they're supposed to be just two blue collar construction workers, I think was the entire. It seems deal. like it's more like on the nose now is all I'm saying. Yeah, now they're trying to put more effort into his gimmick now that he doesn't have the money in the bank briefcase, because that fucking makes sense. They get rid of his best <laughs> friend, his girlfriend, and now they're like, all right, we got to get behind this gimmick. <laughs> like, Telling you, man. Fuck? Start start doing some uh, elbows, some, uh, you know. Um, I think people would pop for that. A little bionicness. Anyways, I don't fucking know. But uh, I like Otis. I like The Miz. I think he's a good heel, but... Uh, just didn't really have a lot of uh, meat to it, a lot of uh, care to it. Um, I, this I next, say they, they broke up the wrong tag team. <laughs> like, really gonna break up a tag team, break up Miz and Morrison. Do you think that different. Tucker will be on a, a tag team with Angelo Dawkins, like in the next year or two? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I think he's gonna end up in that Survivor Series match, and that's how they're gonna try to resolve the feud. Oh Lord. All right, well, uh, let's go to the next match, the Hell in a Cell um, championship match for the SmackDown, SmackDown Women's title. It's Sasha Banks going against Bayley, uh, Bayley being the champion, obviously. This match was – this match also suffered from being uh, a little bit too long, but I appreciate some of the work and effort that the ladies put into this because, I don't know, maybe it's just me. There seems two spots in the match where they made it look like you know, they were they screwed up while doing something uh, in order to give the other person enough time to come back, which kind of makes sense. Because if you think about this stuff, when Sasha set up that table and she was having trouble with it, Bailey came back, beat the living shit out of her. And they didn't even use that table until later when they put it in the corner to put Sasha through, which was a fucking awful looking bump um, or the bump on top of the uh on top of I don't even see this has happened to Candice already too. I don't even see anyone go on the top of a chair get fucking, like, you know, body slammed on top of that. That just looks a little bit too much uh, to me personally. And then later on, obviously, Bailey was trying to put some fucking concoction with, with kendo sticks and taping them together, and that led to giving Sasha enough time to get a fire extinguisher and uh, go after Bailey. I thought the match was really good. I think that this was actually, if we're going to consider this a trilogy, along with their first championship match in NXT, the Iron Woman match, and this one, Probably would not be the best one out of all of them, uh, but they still put each other through a shitload of hell. I love the ending with Sasha doing the same thing, putting her face through. The, it reminded me of Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano feud, putting her through the chair, giving her the bang statement. Bailey taps out. Sasha is now champion. And now the aspect is, can Sasha retain it? Whereas the next time, like always, like her last couple championships in WWE, going to be, you know, thwarted the next time she puts the title on the line. So we'll have to see. Like I said, there was time that you could have kind of gotten rid of, but that's a little bit nitpicking. As far as wrestling, not so much the performance aspect, the sports entertainment aspect, I guess you could say, if you want, uh, like Roman's match was with Jay. Even though they did have a pretty intense wrestling match, this one was much more based off of the feud with them, but having just a really good uh, – good wrestling match probably the best wrestling i would say on the card uh really enjoyed it 
Um, and they did a bunch of extra shit. You know, uh, they didn't have to go and climb on top of the cell. They just it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, the Usos and and um, and New Day because they were really unique and trying to do some cool stuff besides that one with the kendo sticks and the duct tape. But I don't know if that was supposed to be planned like that um, or not. So, you know, Bailey's supposed to be the big dumb heel in this. So that's what they do. Anyways, uh, Bailey lost. Sasha's the champion. Chris, does she retain it the next time she puts this damn title on the line and break the curse? <laughs> uh, was it you that texted me Bailey the Builder? <laughs> yes. Okay. That's outside of that. Whatever she was trying to do with the kendo sticks, I thought this is a very, very good match. Um, it definitely got me invested back into the show after the weird Miz segment with Otis, and then before that the Jeff Hardy DQ finish. So it, I think the placement on the card for this match was actually pretty smart. Um, I don't think it was as good as their Iron Man match, but it was nice to see Sasha pick up a win here. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming that this feud is not over with her and Bailey, unfortunately, because they don't they haven't built anyone else up to face Sasha. I'm assuming that's going to be Bianca Belair. That's what I'm hoping. I think Bailey's got to get her her rematch and then hopefully we'll be over it by then. Yeah, and the, my only thing about Bianca Belair is really having her lose to Sasha. I don't know that that helps her. So I would no. almost I would almost think you have to switch the title. So maybe they hold off until Rumble and have Bianca Belair win the Royal Rumble. But I have a feeling that Mrs. Charlotte Flair will be back by then. So <laughs> I don't even know that that's going to be a thing. It would mean more for Bianca Belair to win it. I will say that. Yeah, I agree. That would be the person and the feud I'd like to see uh, going forward. All right, well, uh, the next match was a match that kind of got put together on the pre-show. I want to apologize for our last show. I saw headlines, multiple websites that said that The Fiend versus Dominic Dijakovic uh, was going to be added uh, to this. I thought that made sense in certain rights. I didn't really want to see, out of all the members of Retribution, Dominic get beat. Um you know, they could have put Slapjack, who was actually in this match, um, or Dio Madden's character. I don't really care about them enough to fucking remember all the stupid names they gave them. But no, they, they, they took it off. It's just this is Hell in a Cell. They put it out every October. This is their Halloween thing. Now, NXT has Halloween Havoc, but this is supposed to be, you know, with all the advertisement, the darker pay-per-view or whatever the fuck. Um it would have been nice to see The Fiend show up somewhat. You know, he would have a big impact on Raw, in a direction that me and Chris were dreading, but that's where they're going. Um, getting involved with this whole Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton with, you know, we'll talk about that next, but them all together. Um, but instead, we had them issuing a challenge, the Hurt Business, uh, for any of the members of Retribution to go against Bobby Lashley for the United States Championship. They basically said it will be any of you, and Ali chose, for some reason, Slapjack instead of himself. All right, whatever. Well, Slapjack got his fucking ass kicked, and that was about it. Uh, after the match, Retribution comes out, tried an attack. Lashley, T-Bar, and Mace, who, I guess that's Dominic Dijakovic and Dio Madden, 
Uh, try to double choke slam, but uh, Lashley avoids it. The Hearst business runs out. It makes the save, forcing Retribution to retreat. The two teams face off in the ring and the floor yelling at each other. Um, I guess this might be a Survivor Series match that I really just don't care about that I think brings down the Hurt Business and all the performers that are in Retribution. And you can still – you can kind of see just Vince McMahon's caring of this whole entire group from what they do to him uh, just getting less and less. So we'll see how long that that lasts. And, uh, yeah, just um, whatever. Put on another title match. Uh, what did you think about this, Chris? I think it made – Bobby Lashley looked like a million bucks since he just beat the shit out of everybody. (laughs) So if that's what they were going for, they nailed it. Um, Yeah, you know, Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez were confused by this as well. So there must have been way more rumors about this, the Fiend supposedly having a match on this card. I don't think that's just us. Um, (laughs) But whatever, I mean, I think you're spot on. I think Vince is done with retribution. We talked about that on the last show and he's probably going to have the hurt business kill them and try to, I mean, I'm assuming that he will salvage Dominic Dijakovic in some way, just because of the size. And they have plenty they can do with Mia Yim once they unmask these characters and, and just make them normal wrestlers without names like slap nuts and Jack bar or whatever. Jack bar. Oh God. Oh, that's hilarious. Jack bar, slapjack, slap nuts. Fuck you. T bar. All right. Anyways, <laughs> it, would, it would be amazing if they put Jeff Jarrett as a manager in this group and just called him slap nuts. Like that would turn ah. this around for me. Oh, my God. I love, by the way, uh, uh, they, the pre-show. I only caught the ending of it, but they had a, uh, a part with Jeff Jarrett and Elias going back and forth. And that was really fucking funny because uh, it was Jeff Jarrett, Booker T., uh, Kayla and Jerry Lawler, and it was a very fun panel for that very reason of all of them. Um, but yeah, I've, this is the crazy thing about WWE pay-per-views. I would never say already we're at the main event because we are at the main event. You know, this is a nice show that got done by like 10 o'clock, which is appreciative. Um, Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre. I thought they had a good match. I thought they suffered by having two other Hell in a Cell matches that on different levels, one for the wrestling, the other one for the dramatics and the theatrical elements, if you will, that just rose above it. And uh, I like, I don't mind Randy Orton winning the title. I know a lot of people are pissed off about that. And now that he is tied, I believe with Cena, no, he's tied now with, with uh, triple H. So they only give credit. I think the 16, he's at 14, uh, I believe, uh, whatchamacallit, John Cena is at 15. And like I said, they only give credit for the 16 reigns for Ric Flair, because even though he's probably at about 20 uh, with entitled reigns in Puerto Rico and lots of other places, but whatever. Um, there's one person, if they're going to do this, and it's got to be throughout his career and towards the end, that if John's not going to beat Flair, I think that Rick would either want his daughter to somehow get those championships stacked up by then, or Randy, who he obviously is very fond of. So it makes sense to put him in that position. I don't see Triple H winning any more titles, knock on wood. Uh, I don't know if you heard that or not. But I thought this was a good match, man. They beat the living hell out of each other. It just was, like we kind of say, their style is a bit methodical, both of them. Um, And I just didn't think that the climbing on top of the hell in the cell was very necessary. Because you're putting a lot of 
expectations, really ridiculous expectations by fans in order to do that because everyone harpens back to Mick Foley, his match with uh, Undertaker, obviously, and everything that happened in that, and then his match as Cactus Jack against Triple H where he went through the damn ring. A little bit nicer because the area obviously didn't have – go back and watch the fucking match. Um, hits the tarp, goes right through it. They kind of catch him. So even though it probably hurt like hell, it definitely wasn't as bad as just hitting the fucking mat solid. So they had a spot uh, rigged in the ring. But, um, you know, this would have them climb on top of it, fight on for a little while, go back uh, off the side near the announce table. You know what's going to happen. Drew, it was going to be one of them. Drew goes through the uh, announce table about halfway up from the the cage on the side which we've seen a lot uh he obviously i mean maybe he was bleeding his mouth but i think that he just pops something you know starts bleeding out of his mouth uh they're going to it might be internal injuries and whatnot and the ending sequence was really cool where they kind of set it up where drew tried to get the, the claymore randy orton gets around it and then finally gets him with an rko I think that to really put the nail on the coffin, it kind of, I guess, protects Drew. Maybe a stomp should have been the thing that put him out, since that's like the definite. Well, unless you're Shawn Michaels, which I love Shawn, but just saying. Um, you know, that's usually the definite, like the end, basically. There's no one can get up from that. So it would have made sense even for an RKO to get out of. But either way, Randy Orton's a champion. He's got a lot to deal with with The Fiend, Andrew McIntyre wanting his rematch. Maybe we'll get that three-way going on. And then we can have another match inside the Bray Wyatt compound with The Fiend. Maybe it will be on the the Firefly Funhouse set um, for the championship. What do you think, Chris? My God, I hope that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> I thought this was a very fun match. It was. It was – I think both guys tried really hard. I think there's things on the show that overshadowed it, much like you said. There, the the entire ending sequence I liked a lot, um, with Randy dodging the Claymore kick and going for the RKO, and then um, the only thing I would say it'd be more effective if I hadn't seen it, because we've seen a lot of these two guys recently, and and similar, you know, as far as them reversing in and out of these finishers. Um, but you know, I went into this kind of expecting that Randy was finally going to win based on how they booked him at the last pay-per-view. I mean, they basically told us that Drew McIntyre can't beat this guy by himself. <laughs> like how many people interfered in that last match they had? It was Christian. We had Sean, we had uh Ric Flair. We had, <laughs> so I, I wasn't surprised they put it on Randy. Um, I think some of this has to do with they can't gauge if Drew McIntyre's over with the fan base. And and we've talked about that. And I hate that to an extent because it sucks for Drew. Because I don't really think it's his fault necessarily. I think that his promo ability has gotten better, especially when he's getting vicious and saying that he's going to be in their nightmares and whatnot. <laughs> Drew's, Drew's gotten better on the mic. I think he's gotten better on the ring. I feel like... He had a bunch of really awesome matches in NXT, one with Andrade, one with Bobby Roode, and then they kind of neutralize him and have him be like the diesel for friggin' Dolph Ziggler for a long time. Um, and then he slowly was able to – he beat Goldberg and Big Show – or not Goldberg, Brock Lesnar and the Big Show on WrestleMania in the same night. Remember that. So 
they tried, but they don't have any gauge of the audience to be able to tell if he's really getting over. So I hope that this is all right. We'll put on a legend to get it to this level. And Drew's going to be someone that we're going to have to see what happens once we get more of an audience back and we can have a grasp on that. But I don't think that Drew has done anything himself to prove that he's not ready. It's just the situation itself. I mean, they can't really they can't tell. It's 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 not moving the needle as much as they want it to. Um, and there's no live audience. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious. I mean, they could if they want to go back to Drew, they could easily just have him win the Rumble, and have yep. him be back to back Royal Rumble winner. Like that's that would be huge, right? It's been a long time since we had one of those, where someone won the Royal Rumble back to back. Like the last one was Austin, maybe. Before that, HBK. Yeah, so I mean that's something they could go back to. I don't think they're done with Drew McIntyre. I don't think that fans should be worried about him losing to Randy Orton. Because he beat Randy Orton like three times. So Randy finally getting a win, it's not like it really hurts Drew all that much. But it does transition the title to someone they know can be at at the top. And who is a guy that's cutting the best promos on the show? Randy Orton. So I, I, I don't have any problem with them putting the title on Orton. And maybe we can get back to Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre. I think yeah. that's... There's interesting stuff you can do with Drew McIntyre outside of the title picture. And I will say, I mean, it just makes sense. They're trying to be safe. And, you know, if you can, if you put the legends back in with some of the guys that are their top superstars, to have Randy Orton as one of the champions and Roman Reigns as one of the champions with a uh, time period where they don't have that much of a live audience, if any, at all, um, and they're not going on the road, you know, and their ratings are getting smashed. It makes sense to have those two kind of have the titles, I think. Yeah, and and I, I mean, with Randy, like I said, I think this is the best Randy Orton we've seen in a very, very long time. Yep, like, since I, I think I, with Undertaker, basically, I think. Well, I didn't see a lot of it after that, but to me, that was when I stopped watching was when he was feuding with Undertaker. And that was a pretty damn good feud to me. I, I would say maybe his feud with Punk... Okay. Uh, would be next in line, but it's been a long time since we've seen this level of performance from Randy Orton. It's part of the reason I haven't been such a big Randy Orton fan. As people know in the past, I mean, watching there was a time period where watching a Randy Orton match was um, <laughs> you knew exactly what it was going to look like. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that he was going against Jinder Mahal <laughs> or, you know, going against Bray Wyatt. <laughs> and becoming a member of the Wyatt family and all of that ridiculous shit. So like if you, if you're telling me that you want to put the title on this version of Randy Orton, someone that's punning people and fucking cutting good promos and having good matches. Sure. I would have told you you were fucking crazy. Cause I didn't think that I would like what they're doing with Randy Orton this much, <laughs> but <laughs> I guess uh, people making fun of that edge match really lit a fire under him or something. Yep. And once Edge comes back, there's a fire lit under him as well for that whole thing. Redemption. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. And uh, like I said, overall, pretty good pay-per-view. Um, definitely enjoyed all the Hell in the Cell matches. I just, well, I didn't really get to ask you. Do you, do you agree with me? I don't think the Roman Reigns, Jey Uso really need to be in the Hell in the Cell. Like that's why they could have just had a I Quit match. Who? I mean, what was? They didn't give us a reason why it needed to be there. Was the reason to keep Jimmy from being involved in the match? 
No, that this is this is just like, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later. This is this reminds me of the lumberjack match between Orange Cassidy and and Cody. Neither one of them wanted to worry about either one not evading. You know that wasn't going to happen or any type of. So why the fuck have a lumberjack match? Same thing with a cage match in Hell in a Cell. There's no reason if the other person is not trying to be a heel and run from the battle, or you're protecting it from another person coming in. Yeah, but I mean at this point. They've killed the gimmick of Hell in a Cell anyways. Yeah. So I, the only thing I would say about that match is they should have put it on last. I agree. Either either that or the, the, the women's title match. I don't think that that uh, Drew and, and Randy should have gone last. If they went first, it actually might have helped them, honestly. Yeah, I think that would either – I would have swapped probably those two matches. Yeah. I can see that. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was a good pay-per-view. And um, one thing I'll say about WWE, they've done a really good job with giving you content after their pay-per-view that's worth watching recently. So, like, as soon as the pay-per-view ended, we got that, like, really great um, Undertaker and Randy Orton breakdown of their feud. Yeah. Which, which was I really enjoyed. Awesome. Definitely recommend anyone to watch The Untolds. They're awesome. Just just finding out from the wrestlers within these events, whether it be Mick and Undertaker during their Hell in the Cell or any of the John Cena and um, – which one did they do with John Cena? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. They're just usually really well done, and you get to see a lot of inside stuff on the, the mindset of putting together a big professional wrestling. It's it's peeling back the curtain, brother. It's, it's, it's killing kayfabe. You know what the craziest part about this is? It proves that WWE can book a three-hour show, yet they fail to fucking do it week after week after week when it comes to Raw. God damn it. Well, let's uh, let's move from Monday to Wednesday in the middle of the week. We had two big shows going against each other. We had NXT Halloween Havoc. Uh, I thought it was an awesome show. I, there is some issues I had with it, but for the most part, I don't know which one I like more, but I, I think I'm leaning towards uh, NXT, actually. That the first match and that last match were both fucking great. I love the Rhea Ripley match. Um, I thought Raquel Gonzalez looked awesome and solid, you know, in her placement, looking like a monster. And uh, But I loved AEW, too. I thought that their first match and their last match were both fucking awesome and a lot of the stuff in the middle. I just think their segments might have been a bit better. But we'll get to that. Uh, just to go over, you know, an overall view of how you thought and also go into the ratings. Uh, NXT drew 876,000 viewers. Uh, and uh, it topped actually in viewers overall with AEW getting 781,000. Um, but don't worry, AEW fans. AEW is ranked 12 in the 1849 demographic, while NXT ranked 21. So don't fret. Chris Jericho lets you know a million fucking times. It only matters from that, apparently. But um, how, how did you feel about both shows? Which one did you lean towards more? And how do you feel about the ratings, Chris? I, it's it's Scott. I'm so torn on which one I liked better because there's two matches that stand out. And, and Rob, obviously, we'll get into them. But Omega versus uh, Pentagon was so fucking great. And uh, that Gargano match was fucking great so i mean there was good stuff on both shows there's also stuff i hated on both shows i'm gonna lean towards nxt i thought it was a better overall show this week i liked 
the presentation they gave us for it being a Halloween havoc. I loved Shotzi Blackheart as this kind of crazy game show host character, even though it was like a 30 second thing. Um, there was good stuff on both shows and there's stuff I'm definitely going to criticize on both shows. Yep. And why don't we just head over to NXT uh, to start this off with. Um, they started with Shotzi opening it up, looking fucking awesome in this weird, like Frankenstein outfit. Just Shotzi's awesome. She was kind of playing this newer age Elvira, you know, this, this sexy horror based, you know, woman. Oh wait, I don't think we're allowed to call women sexy anymore. I think admitting they have sex appeal is a bad thing. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. I don't give a fuck, but, um, she's awesome. She's got so much energy. She's great in the ring. And she provided a lot of fun within this. Her voice and how she, how into it she got, it just definitely made the whole spin the wheel, make a deal uh, better. But they had a Devil's Playground match. Um, I don't even know, because this is the thing. WCW, for their spin the wheel, they had a bunch of weird names for normal matches. So I don't know if this is originally a part of it or they just added it. But basically, it was a no uh, false count anywhere match. Uh, no DQ between Johnny Gargano and Damian Priest for the championship. I thought these guys kicked the living shit out of each other. Um, I thought it was an awesome match. You know, you can say what you want about Johnny when it comes to him. It's kind of like Bailey in aspects of being a baby face where it's like, all right, all you are is a bubblegum baby face and there's not a lot to it. Um, but the heel work that he does, unlike Bailey just not getting over to me as much being the annoying like suburban neighbors in the fucking neighborhood with him and Candace. But his entering stuff is just, there's no denying it. Uh, one of my favorite parts is when he tries to do the, the jump in with the spear and Damien evades it, puts him back on the apron, uh, and then choke slams him, just lifts the motherfucker off the apron through and just right into the fucking ring. Just solid. Looked really great. Looked painful. Damian Priest is getting better and better every week. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of people on NXT anymore that I consider could be superstars past. And knowing what fucking just happened to Keith Lee, Mia Yim, I don't really have a lot of faith in WWE anyways. But for for, for one person I think could make a big splash, unless they put him, you know, on uh, retribution, would be Damian Priest. Don't fucking do that, please, Vince. God. Um... I think he's good in the ring. I think he's gotten better on the mic. I think that Scott Hall has definitely helped him out with the promo department because he's a big Scott Hall fan. Scott Hall has been helping him a lot at the performance center and, you know, he considers him a mentor. So you got him. He's got like this dark look to him, but he's definitely much more cool. And he just seems like a cool dude basically. And, and he plays that really well, but in the ring intensity uh, at the end of it, they brawled in the back. They came out. And there was this – the set looked great. They had this uh, cemetery set, and they go to the top of it on this top hill, and to the side of it is like a mausoleum made. Um, we had a scream person, and that's what it was called by everyone in the wrestling world. His name is fucking Ghostface, by the way, people. Ghostface comes out and helps out Johnny Gargano. Looked like a larger type person, about a little bit bigger than Johnny. Um, you know, take out. Damian Priest, and then proceed to give Johnny a uh, tombstone, and he nails it over Priest's back. He falls through the mausoleum, and now your new champion, 
your new North American NXT champion, Johnny Gargano, wins the title. And a lot of people got mad. Okay. I actually have no problem with this. I'm going to tell you my reasoning. Johnny has already won the championship, but we didn't really expect him to get to that level again anytime soon if, let's let's face it, ever. Him being the champion of the mid-card belt and being able to have good matches with people and go back and forth with them and eventually put it on someone else, this makes me think one of two things, a good thing and a bad thing with Damian Priest. The good thing is they're going to keep him out for a second and bring him back, you know, maybe have a rematch with Johnny. If they got to have him lose, maybe more interference. Um, and that's fine, but it should get to Damian being in the title picture. Now, that's a good concept, him being the actual NXT championship picture. The bad concept is that Vince noticed Damian Priest, uh, and that kind of scares me. So I'll just put that out there. Um, but, yeah, I thought this was a fucking awesome match, hard-hitting, just good stuff, man. Good stuff all around. And I don't, like I said, I don't mind Johnny being in charge of the big card title. I think that's more of him kind of get elevating other people with good matches. And like I said, I just hope that Damien's not going to the quote-unquote main roster and going for the NXT championship. How do you feel, Chris? I mean, I think he's going to be sticking around until at least after Mania. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. Just because they seem like they're... They're doing something with whoever came out as Ghostfaced. I mean, that's going to be his Damian Priest's next feud. He's not he's not going to be right back against Johnny Gargano. Um, the one thing I like about that the telling of this story is Candice didn't get the title. So now we have this situation where maybe there will be some uh, turmoil in their relationship, which could be entertaining because they, they, they need something outside of them just living in the suburbs. Um, but yeah, the match itself I thought was really good. Wasn't a huge fan of the finish, but, uh, that choke slam spot was fucking awesome. They worked their ass off. I, I wouldn't expect Johnny Gargano to have a bad match. Um, I'm just torn on what match I liked better. Honestly, was it this or was it Omega in Pentagon? That's that's my only strife. But this was a great match. And uh, I love, like I said earlier, I thought Shotzi was great as this weird game show host or Elvira type character. I wish they would have used her more and maybe used the wheel more effectively throughout the night. But yeah, it was a great opening to the show. I liked Gargano coming out and cutting the giant inflatable pumpkin for no reason. <laughs> oh yeah, that was awesome. Because that pumpkin was so goddamn cheesy, and I was like, why do they have that? And he just came out and fucking did it, like Bailey did to the fucking super inflatable Bailey buddies. It's cool. <laughs> it was just a cool spot for a heel to do, and it was right, you know, good entrance from him. And he had the Jack Skellington coat on, and I, I don't know, I liked everything about this match outside of the finish. I, I wasn't a huge fan of. I mean, I know why you do it, because now you want to know who attacked Damian Priest. But I, let's talk I, about that, because obviously people that are listening of you know what's going to happen at the end of it. Who is Ghostface? Because my idea, and this is not confirmed or anything like that, they're two separate people. What they set up beforehand, it seems to me that the first Ghostface, because think, first, the first Scream movie, and I think a couple of them, there was always more than one. And the first one was two. 
So you have Austin Theory, who Johnny gave a nod to and kind of talked to him later on, uh, you know, him quitting, but whatever, you know, being the first one. And then Indy Hartwell, who helped Candice win her match with Shotzi, you know, being the second one. Um, I don't know what that means for if that whoever, you know, did not do their part uh, with Ghostface not helping out uh, Candice later on. But still, that would make the most sense. Either that or it's got to be someone that's new to the roster. That's kind of like a big reveal. Um, do you think that Candice and Johnny knew who they were because they played it off like they were shocked? And who do you think it is? Well, I think for sure one of the I think one of them is for sure Austin Theory would be my guess. But I, I just don't understand the reasoning because has he been feuding with Priest? I'm trying to even remember. No, like, I just I think his ass kicked. Yeah, so that that's more of the question is why would he have any incentive to help Johnny Gargano? Um I'm I'm I, I know they just threw him in there to throw him in there. Maybe they will flesh out the storyline a little bit more, but I'm assuming that was Austin theory. And, and like you said, uh, Indy was at that was there at the end. Um, yeah. I mean, that seems to be the consensus. I just that, don't know why. Either. Most sense. I just don't know. They don't have a reason why like Austin theory would give a shit about Johnny Gargano winning a title. There has to be some kind of payoff for that. Yeah, I, it was – the reason why people think that, and it really wasn't a lot, was when Johnny beat him, they had that long-ass bat, that really, really great match on NXT, I think, two weeks ago. And Johnny kind of, like, helped him up, and he was, like, you know, giving him, like, a, a nod, and, and Austin appreciated it. Like, they had a baby face moment, but they're two heels. So I don't know if that was Johnny accepting him, but then the next match, obviously, the two against – um. Oh, man, I forgot the the big uh, Polynesian gentleman. Um, but he beat him twice, and then he quit. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I don't know. I, I hope he just wrestles in Ghostface all the time. That'd be cool. I heard that, I've heard rumors that they're changing his name. Austin the Theory? Thing with, yeah, Austin Theory as well as Matt Riddle. They're looking to maybe rebrand them. And I think that probably has to do with some of those allegations. I mean, I don't know that anyone is going to forget that Austin Theory is Austin Theory or Matt Riddle is Matt Riddle. <laughs> but I did read that uh, earlier today. <sighs> Jesus. It's just like uh, with Mr. Velveteen Dream. Man, that's well, you know, when I was talking about over uh, people that I thought would be future superstars and I said there's not many. Now it's like Killer Cross. I could see doing big stuff once he comes back and eventually goes through. Damian Priest, another one I see, think has potential. At one point in time, there was no doubt in my mind Velveteen Dream was going to be one of the biggest stars. And comparing him and saying that he could be the next Rock or, you know, he could be like a, a savage, like that type of level. And now, no offense to Pope, but he's kind of like, uh, you know, very similar to Pope, basically, uh, back from back in old TNA. <laughs> and I think that's going to be his level. So I hope that Austin Theory, you know, if they did find nothing, can get over this hump, uh, just like Matt Riddle. But if they, they didn't, they shouldn't have hired him or kept him, either of them, and fuck him. So I guess that's my uh, realm of thinking. Yeah, it, it, if past listeners of the show know how much we gushed over Velveteen Dream before his injury and all of these uh, rumors, 
but I would say that he's not had those level of matches that he was having beforehand. I, some of that's going to be that the roster itself has changed, but uh, there's there's some sort of mystique he has missed since coming back from the injury, even before the allegations, I would say. Am I crazy to think that? No, I would I would agree with you. He's kind of like, he's been in NXT too long and he never won the title. I think that's one big thing. But as, yeah, as far as the rumors on those name changes go, I don't know that that helps you at all. No. <laughs> so maybe find a different way. I mean, uh, there's uh, there's other ways to book those guys. I I I want to see what they're doing with the Johnny Gargano storyline. I, I want to see how that plays out. If it is Austin Theory, I think there's some interesting stories they can tell um, to make it make sense. And I have faith that NXT will be able to do that. If this was on the main roster, I'd be like, there's probably no payoff. It's the ghost face is also the raw anonymous GM. It's Ollie. <laughs> he wants them to be a part of retribution. Uh, yeah, uh. That's, maybe, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is Ollie. Why not? I mean, they put that guy in everything that sucks. So might as well. We're fucking Ollie, man. Jesus. All he wanted to do was be a, a vigilante baby face. To harp it back to how he felt about being a cop in Chicago, and now he's part of a, I guess, a terrorist group. That's a really fucking intelligent change. Yeah, this is this is the same thing as instead of taking your badass marine female character, <laughs> Lacey, or <Evans>. your <laughs> or or your Olympian, uh, making him Shorty G. Yeah, some of the things are just baffling when you think about them, <laughs> like. Some some of the ideas that these writers come up with, because I mean, some of it's Vince, but like, he's not coming up with all of this shit on his own. <laughs> There's got to be some asshole in a writing room saying, eh, you know, that Ali guy was mean to me one day, so let's put him in this fucking retribution group. That'll be great. We can make him the uh, the hacker, because everyone always thought that, and just put it all together and shit. But the hacker wasn't even part of retribution. It was supposed to be its own separate <laughs> fucking thing, was it not? Well, he's the one who admitted in the promo a couple weeks ago that he was the hacker that was fucking with SmackDown, showing that he could do that type of things, um, which is fine, but I don't care. They would never have gone back to it if that wasn't suggested, basically, by the fan base that they do that, tie in it. Um, I don't care. It's just so dumb. Uh, all right. Also, so why is he the why? Also, why is he the only guy that's not wearing a mask in that group? And not only that, he was the wrestler previously that wore a mask. <laughs> that and everyone knows who all the people in the group are. So do they need the masks at this point? I will try to keep on not naming, unless I'm reading the, the report, the names of the wrestlers and their stupid retribution names. Like I would never call Chad Gable Shorty G. And luckily that went over that fucking phase. So apologize. Not really. Poor Mia Yim. She went from having grid matches on NXT to not having any matches and being part of a really shitty group. What are you going to do? All right, uh, Vic and Barrett, <laughs> they were supposed to have like a, a, a competition for costumes. And you have Vic Joseph, who really actually looks like Waldo. Like, no shit, he looked exactly like the fucking cartoon. Uh, and, of course... Um, Bad News Barrett, he's in his normal outfit, and Vic Joseph's like, what the hell? And he said, you know, you, you don't have a costume on. And then he takes out the little mallet, and he says, no, I'm Bad News. Uh, 
So that was that was fine. It was it was funny. Uh, Pat McAfee's backstage. He's walking with the uh, NXT Tag Champions to the ring. Only Lorcan and Danny Birch. Um, we have a package about Finn Balor, and then Cameron Grimes to set up the stuff that's going on before Pat McAfee comes out. He looks all worried about his match with Dexter Loomis and NXT General Manager William Regal appears and makes Grimes go out to the parking lot. Grimes wants to wrestle in the ring, but Regal isn't trying to hear that. Um, we'll get to the Cameron Grimes stuff uh, in a second, but my, one of my favorite things, probably the best segment in NXT, Pat McAfee comes out. Uh, <laughs> Brian Alvarez, after this happened, posted on Twitter, they need to get Pat McAfee to teach promo class at fucking NXT. This guy is great at just being a dick bag, man. You just don't like him. He's a he's a douche. And uh you know, he's he's hyping himself up. He's pissed off at Adam Cole because after their match and the good performance that he put in, Adam Cole never never said anything, never shook his hand or anything like that. Act like a poor sport basically, and he's the one who lost. So he decided that he'd make it his thing to take out the Undisputed Era. He hired Ridge Holland originally, uh, who did his part in the thing. And then Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch, obviously Oni Lorcan, took him out um, in re- real time, broke his fucking ankle. And I think he said in 16 places. Jesus Christ, I hope that's not real. Um, so he would hire, even though it was an expensive thing, he had to give him a car or some shit like that. Uh Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, but they didn't want money. They wanted help getting the tag titles. So that's exactly what he did. And you have two guys I'm happy that have the tag championships because you've been kind of flip-flopping them anyways. And we've kind of talked to them, not as their jobbers, but like a Bob Holly almost level with NXT. They're two guys that can go out, put on a great fucking hard-hitting match, but you, you're pretty sure they're going to lose. Um, so... There's that, but they ended up winning the NXT Tag Team Championships, and due, due to the circumstance, I don't I don't have a problem with it. It's going to be fun to see what happens in the future. Anyways, he realizes that, or Pat realizes they don't have mics. He gets pissed off. He tells them to give both guys mics so they can talk and stop treating them like crap wrestlers, basically. Right when that happens, Kyle O'Reilly comes out. He's pissed, and right then, I was like, Kyle O'Reilly's about to, like, you know, you know, give like high fives and shit like that to all of them and join these guys. I was wrong. So he gets to the apron and then Pete Dunn's music comes out and Pete fucking looked jacked. Like he doesn't look, you know, he kind of reminded me of Fifth Finley at one point. Uh, he doesn't necessarily anymore. He's still in the ring and his, his aggression kind of does, but you know, we've also compared him to Benoit a bit and he was sleeker, but he put on a good amount of muscle and he had two chairs. He gives one to Kyle. He lets Kyle go in the ring first. He gets in the ring, and they're about to, quote-unquote, attack him. Uh, Pete Dunne smacks Kyle in the fucking back. And apparently Pete Dunne's under uh, the payroll Pat McAfee. And they just all beat the living shit out of him, put him out, and now they're going for the whole entire team. And I'm sure once we get some type of brawl between the two teams, it's going to be war games between them, which I'm fine with. That'll be fun. The Undisputed Era usually always is a part of the war games. It's just weird having them now as a baby face. But I love Pat McAfee. I like that they've elevated Oni, uh, Oni Lorcan and uh, Danny Burch, and they're now tag champions. 
and I'm very intrigued by a heel Pete Dunne in this for this group. Uh, so interesting. Will it work though in the long run, Chris? Will this work to be able to get the undisputed era? I guess as baby faces, because I'm assuming that's what they're trying to go for. And how'd you like all this? I, I think to some extent it already has worked with, I mean, basically the way they've handled the undisputed era as of late. I, I don't, you know, them going into war games as the babyface t- team after Pete Dunn destroys them with a chair and Pat McAfee, uh, Pat McAfee's cutting these great heel promos. Um, I think they'll be able to make that work. I, I actually look forward to, to that feud. Uh, I love Oni Lorcan and, and Danny Birch as this tag team. I think this makes a lot of sense. And if anything, it helps those guys immensely by putting them in this group because it gives them credibility. Whereas like you said beforehand, they were just guys that put on good matches, but lost. (laughs) So uh, this at least gives them some legitimacy and they have a good mouthpiece because that's the other thing is, I mean, you don't want Oni lurking, really cutting promos out there, honestly. Um, But yeah, Pete Dunn looked great coming back. I love this segment. Um, I think this was the best promo of the week, easily. And I know that's going to piss off some MJF fans, so you guys can go ahead and get at me at Twitter. It's at Chris R. Patton. (laughs) But but yeah, I I thought this was great. And I once again, I have to apologize. I I was wrong about Pat. Me too. Me fucking too, man. You can both apologize about that. I think he's someone that Another person, I don't even know if you would. I would not want to see on Raw or SmackDown. I mean, not saying they couldn't do something, but I feel like they would fuck him up somehow. But if he wants to come back and forth in NXT and be a big star there, no problem with it. And we'll have to see what he does. And we're going to see him in a War Games match. So that's going to be something to try to impress fucking wrestling fans again. I, and I think that's the perfect match to put him in because you can brawl also. Yep. I mean, I know that him and uh, him and Adam Cole surprised me, right? That match surprised me. But there's a level of expectation there now of what every match would have to be like between those two guys to some extent. So throwing them in war games, it just opens up possibilities. And you have so many other great workers in that match that yeah. I think they'll, you know, like think of all the people that are going to be in in that match, you have Oni Lurkin, Danny, uh, Danny Birch, Pete Dunn, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, Adam Cole. <laughs> like, am I missing anyone? Roderick Strong, yeah. Roderick Strong. I mean, damn. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's going to be a fucking wrestling clinic. People should just, like, indie wrestlers should go to the show <laughs> for sure and just watch because that's going to be a fucking wrestling clinic. I agree, man. I'm 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 looking forward to it, and I like this stuff. I think that Pat's one of the best. I can't believe I'm about to say it's one of the best heels in the business. Uh, so we'll have to see what what, what happens. Uh, he definitely helps out and legitimize, uh, you know, Lorcan and Birch as a tag team even more so as champions at least. And I like that Pete Dunne also shows us a different layer of him. You know, he's been a babyface for a long time since the beginning when he was a heel of the uh, NXT UK tournament so it's it's nice to see him try something different and he looks he looks fucking ripped dude he done's been hitting the weights i am sad 
that we're not getting Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle as a tag team, though. <laughs> I was yeah. really hoping they would bring that back. He still should probably fuck up uh, Timothy uh, Thatcher for, you know, beating the shit out of him. So um, we'll, we'll find out. But anyways, so Cameron Grimes is backstage uh, begging William Regal. Uh, William proceeds to show him the door. Cameron thinks that he's going out with him outside and then he shuts the door on him and locks it. So Cameron Grimes is like freaking the fuck out. A van comes up. And uh, there is this guy looked like Bub from Day of the Dead in the passenger seat, just staring at him. And he's all freaking the fuck out. And then the door opens. This is probably my favorite part of this ridiculous fucking sequence. Michael P.S. Hayes with the bad street music playing, gets out, is dancing. He's singing the lyrics. He sings some directly to Cameron Grimes and just strolls off. And Cameron's like, what the fuck? And they tell him to get in the van. And he says, I hate rednecks, which is a very weird thing for Cameron Grimes to be saying. I don't know if he realizes who he is, but uh, what the fuck was this? <laughs> I love seeing Michael PSAs. I wish they, I wish he would have been singing that Free Bird Road song instead, though. <laughs> Just the deep cuts off Michael PSAs albums. Um, this was the best part of this. Everything from here on sucked. <laughs> like, sucked dog dicks recorders bad. Oh, God. All right, so NXT Cruiserweight Champion Santos Escobar came out and went against Jake Atlas. Uh, He was – him and the other members of his group all had, like, skulls painted into their face, uh, very reminiscent of Day in the Dead. Uh, But he displayed a picture on his Twitter of what he was trying to go for is a little bit with the pants, was an homage to Rey Mysterio uh, in his 1997 outfit. Uh, which was technically an homage to the Phantom of the uh, not the Phantom of the Opera, the Phantom classic uh, cult hero character that El Fantasma, uh, El Hilo del Fantasma means uh, the ghost. What is it? The ghost of darkness? Or, I can't remember. But basically, so his father, El, the first El Fantasma, and himself, their concept was based off the Phantom as well. So it was like a nice little homage. I like that. They had a good match, but once again, he needs Raul Mendoza and DJZ to fucking help him out because at the end of it, he gets the LGBTDT um, from from uh, what you call Jake Atlas, and the only reason he kicks out of it and doesn't lose the title is because I think Raul grabbed his foot and put it on the rope. Well, the referee saw this and kicked him out, but I mean after that, Santos Escobar took advantage of it and won. Pretty short but good cruiserweight match. And, uh, yeah, Escobar's still showing that Legado del Fantasma is needed for him to get wins. And it seems like his – eventually it should come to a point where the other guys realize that he needs them more than they need him is what I'm assuming. Yeah, it's it, it's going to have to come to something like that. Either that or you have to do a stip match to keep them out of the ring. Right. So cage match or something that would be the that would be my expectation. I thought this was a fine match. I mean, it was only three minutes, but that that would be the only downfall. I would say they could have gave them a little bit more time. But, yeah, this was a good cruiserweight match. I think they've had better matches, but they were just continuous continuing the storyline. I would have to think Jake Atlas is getting that title. 
Either him or Isaiah Swerve Scott. I don't know which one they're going to do, but they got to fucking pick sometime soon. Yeah, because they can't just have these guys continuously taking losses each week. No, I don't want to see that. All right. So uh, we go to a video package from Ember Moon uh, talking about Dakota Kai and how at one point she was kind of new and now she's become a fucking badass within the women's division, how she's going to take her out. Then we go to uh, host Shotzi Blackheart, who says that next will be the Haunted House of Terror and they, you know, go to commercial break, come back and she opens up that. I will say that what kind of made me a little bit interested, I wonder if Ember Moon changed her gimmick based on Shotzi. Because Shotzi now kind of has like a horror style. She had it before this. She's always had like a tank girl meets kind of horror-esque, you know, vampires, green hair, doing the, oh! And obviously Ember Moon used to do, she used to be kind of like a werewolf where she'd come out and she'd howl and stuff like that. So I found it, you know, was wondering about that aspect and also just wondering if it kind of sucked that Ember Moon wasn't a part of Halloween Havoc since she used to have kind of like a uh, a supernatural vibe to her when she previously was in NXT. So I wonder if she's trying to separate that because of Shotzi Blackheart and her popularity. What do you think, Chris? I, yeah, I could see that. I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I haven't heard anything like that, but that would make sense. Um, I don't know what Ember Moon's character currently is. I mean, she was showing up on a motorcycle for, for a while. I don't know, maybe a road warrior? I have no fucking clue. She's going to join Retribution. Oh, God, I hope not. Um, but yeah, it was weird not to see... It was weird not to see Ember Moon here. It's also weird just to see her back in NXT, honestly. When the... I would say the female division could use someone like Ember Moon on the main roster if they would actually use her properly and, you know, maybe do, I mean, Oscar needs somebody to feud with right now. Agreed. They had some great matches, man. Um, all right, let's go into this haunted house of terror match. Uh, this is another situation. If there weren't so many, maybe I would like this more. I have no idea, but the fact that they're doing so many cinematic matches in fucking everything just kills my want to see any of these matches. Part of this reminded me of a negative aspect with the boy, the Wyatt compound, Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt. Some people liked it. I didn't. I thought it was kind of dumb. Some of it reminded me in a positive way of the opening of the 1992 Halloween Havoc, where the kids are, are trick-or-treating, and then they realize that Halloween Havoc's coming on, so they have to go home. But one kid wants to go to this last big house that looks kind of scary. They go to the door. Tony Schiavone's in there. Long story short, he turns into a giant monster. And, and I, I think they kind of expressed that he ate the kid. Because the one that wanted to be there was there. The other ones ran away. So there was a little bit of hokiness, but it was kind of fun and an old Halloween Havoc type of theme. Um, but this was ridiculous. I mean, I guess if you're trying to do it in the kayfabe realm, this fucking psychopath, Dexter Loomis who likes to get into his, his, his opponent's heads by making him think that he's a serial killer, hired a bunch of acrobatics to dress up as zombies and attack Cameron Grimes, who would be stupid enough to believe that they're really fucking zombies. Um, 
the zombies look good. I'll give him that. I like that part where Cameron Grimes is in the sh- <laughs> He reminded me of Michael PSAs of what he'd do in this situation, actually, where he was in the bathroom and he thought a hot girl was in the shower because he saw the silhouette and he opened up the curtain and it was a female zombie attacking him. Uh, Dexter's fucking with him throughout the whole entire house. Zombies mess with him. He ends up leaving and running. I'm just going to get through the rest of it. He come, We come back to him later on. He's literally been running what they're trying to say to the uh, the performance center. <laughs> so that's ridiculous. I think him, he was funny throughout it, but it just was a little bit over the top. When he gets there, he runs to the ring. Dexter's chasing him. Then they have, like, not a thriller aspect, but kind of, with, like, all the zombies coming out of nowhere in the cemetery. In a set cemetery. It's a set. But Cameron's still fucking freaking out about all this. So the zombies come for him. Dexter stalks him to the ring. They get in there. I believe one of them was the guy that did the Thatcher uh, can segment was one of the dudes playing the zombie. I'm pretty sure. I don't notice hundred percent that the chick that was literally climbing and crawling all over uh, Dexter Loomis at one point was Casey Canizaro. I'm just assuming cause she's so good at gymnastics. They're about the same size. Um, but this ends up with Dexter choking him out and then getting out of the ring and then uh, the end came up uh, while I believe uh, Beth Phoenix said, like, this is a real horror show or something corny like that. And then the end came up. And, uh, yeah, so I guess he beat Cameron Grimes. I don't fucking know. I don't know what's happening. It looked like the zombies were devouring him in the fake fog. So I, I can't wait to hear what Jim Cornette thinks about this, basically. This is one of those situations where that's going to be the – the most fascinating aspect of this fucking match. Uh, Chris, what'd you think? I didn't care for this at all. As I said earlier, I mean, I do this on the main roster. Don't do this in NXT. NXT is supposed to be your serious wrestling, right? To me, I know it's Halloween havoc, but this just had so many shades of all of these cinematic matches that I hate. I've I've liked one, <laughs> Dane. There's been one that I've enjoyed outside of, uh, I guess, the original, which would be the final deletion. But, you know, outside of final deletion and I'm going to say the Boneyard match, which I wasn't a huge fan of, but I did like. No, at, at first you didn't like it. And I think it took a second watch for you to be like, OK, that wasn't that bad. But the rest of these I fucking hate. Like, they're terrible. They're, they're just terrible. Um, I didn't like the one on it. It's not just WWE. I mean, AEW's done it. it. Impact's doing it. Uh, it must just be. Is if Ring of Honor ever does this, I'm gonna lose my shit. <laughs> I, it, see, I could have seen Ring of Honor doing this about a year ago, but now with their new presentation, if they were to do this, it would kill credibility for me. Um, yeah. Like this, this is something that you could put on NWA, and it would make sense because it has an '80s hokiness to it. But like, when you're trying to have a ser- like other serious storylines, and you do something like this, it kills the entire vibe of the show. Ugh. Well, you know what didn't kill the the vibe of the show is this next match uh, that I thought was pretty fucking awesome. We had a tail of the tape graphic between Rhea Ripley and Raquel Gonzalez show up. Uh, they both came to the ring, and these ladies just beat the living fuck out of each other. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez, I think, has gotten a hell of a lot better in the ring. Uh, she knows 
I'm allowed to say this because Beth Phoenix said this and she compared it to herself. She's a, she, she fights like a, you know, a big woman wrestler. Uh, and that's not no negative way. Okay. So just fucking get off my back anyways, but both her and Rhea Ripley, they both have that size. They both just look intimidating. Like they could fuck someone up male or female. And they really just beat the living hell out of each other. Um, and I thought this really made um, Raquel Gonzalez look good, even though Rhea Ripley ended up winning. Uh, you know, she first got the one-arm powerbomb onto her, but Ripley stays on Gonzalez and hits the riptide in the middle of the ring for the win. Uh, I thought this still made Gonzalez look good within a, within a uh, loss. And Rhea Ripley continues to be a badass. And now it's time for her and EO to have their square down. That's what I think. So... After it, Rhea covers and stands tall. Uh, while her music hits and her arm is raised, Gonzalez rolls to the floor and recovers. Uh, Ripley poses in the corner as the fake chance cheer. So there you go. What did you think, Chris? I liked the match a lot. It was it was a great match between these two. It was probably, I mean, it was the second best thing on NXT for sure. Um, but a hell of a match. Raquel Gonzalez is getting a hell of a lot better in the ring. And putting her in there with people like Rhea Ripley makes a lot of sense because she's only going to get better the more and more matches she has like this. So I look forward to seeing what they do with her. Uh, now that she's lost Rhea Ripley, I, I, I'm i assuming Rhea Ripley is title bound. Yeah, would, would be my guess. So maybe the next feud would be EO and Raquel Gonzalez after EO drops the title. One thing I'm wondering, is what if Raquel, since she's basically Dakota Kai's diesel to her Shawn Michaels, if you will, what if Raquel fucks up? Something that we kind of see happening with MJF and Wardlow. But what if Raquel fucks up, causes the match with Ember Moon, and then Dakota Kai forgets how her, the size of Raquel, you know, maybe slaps her, and that causes them to be in a feud, positioning Raquel more as a babyface. So basically the diesel turn. Uh, that would make a lot of sense too. Yep, that that's probably the route they should go. Well, let's see if they go there. All right, so this next segment, I actually thought this is really funny. I have not liked a lot of the stuff involved with Drake Maverick and Killian Dane, but I couldn't hate on this. So Mackenzie Mitchell backstage with Drake Maverick. He's dressed as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. He cuts a Hulkster promo, and suddenly two guys dressed as the Yeti and the Giant. <laughs> I can't even fucking say this. Get around him and start doing that weird humping thing that they did once uh, Giant took the title away from Hogan uh, in the Halloween Havoc of 95. If you guys haven't seen that, just look it up. I think you can put Yet- Yeti, Giant, Humps, Hulk Hogan, Halloween Havoc. You'll find it or find some really interesting videos. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so the next part after that happens, he's freaking out and they both leave. Uh, you have Killian Dane dressed as a shopmaster who makes his big splash but doesn't trip. So Killian, so Drake Maverick's like, no, you're you're the shopmaster. You're supposed to trip on that on that pole on the ground. And he's like, he doesn't get it. And that was it. That was that was that was the segment. I thought it was a good throwback, pretty funny. Didn't really have a problem with it. Still, really, I'm not looking forward to a tag team with the two of these guys. But I thought this was a pretty funny segment. It made me pop. What do you think, Chris? I thought this was very funny and, and entertaining, and this is the kind of stuff you should be doing instead of, like, zombies and shit. So I had no problem with this. <laughs> it was entertaining. 
<laughs> instead of zombies and shit. Oh, God, I agree with you. All right, so past the Dexter Loomis part. Um, Shotzi's setting up the uh, the last match and when we come back from commercial break. Tommaso is somewhere backstage. He's no longer recognizes NXT. The talent is still some of the best in the world, but the attitude and the culture has changed. Everyone walks around like they're owned. They're, they're owed something, asking for opportunities. Ciampa says this is a monopoly, and we're not taking turns. If you're hungry, you eat. He's hungry, so he will eat. Ciampa says everyone wants to blame others for what they don't have. He goes on about the use of buzzwords and tweets, getting the attention of people. Ciampa says he was never handed anything. He never asked for an opportunity. He was simply the greatest sports entertainer of all time, going back to that moniker, which is fucking funny and awesome. And for a very long time, Tommaso Ciampa was NXT. He really was. He says it's about damn time. He takes it back. And his all begins with the Velveteen Dream. He says Dream is a 25-year-old prodigy who has maybe the it factor, but can't seem to get out of his own damn way. Ciampa says, the old saying goes, hit me once with a cast, shame on me. Hit me twice with a cast, you're a dead man. He walks off to end the segment, and we announce that Tommaso Ciampa and Velveteen Dream and Dakota Kai going against Amber Moon are for next week's NXT. How'd you like Champa in this promo? I thought it was awesome. I love fucking Tommaso Champa, and I want him to be on the top again or get to that level again. Yeah, I as soon as T's done with this, I'm assuming they go back to Kushida, which yep. is awesome. So if you're telling me I'm going to get Champa and Kushida again, fuck yes. Uh, <laughs> I like the promo a lot. I like how they're building uh, this little feud between Velveteen Dream and Champa. Uh, you have to have Champa win. Oh, yeah. Uh, just right now. I mean, down the line, if they want to revisit it, I think they can. But uh, I would assume you have Champa win and you do Kushida versus Champa, which who the hell doesn't want to see that? That'll be awesome. Uh, all right. And I agree with you completely. Um, we have our last match. It's been the wheel make a deal. Shotzi does it, and it lands on tables, ladders, and scares match. Definitely a new addition uh, TLC match. Um, for the NXT Women's Championship, Candice and the champion EO, God, they had a brutal fucking match. Just another great match, honestly. Uh, both ladies kicked the shit out of each other. Uh, that part where they're on the apron, and Candice does the swinging neckbreaker um, through the two tables, that was pretty gnarly. I think it really comes down to we have Candice who has a ladder, but she didn't place it right. She's a little bit to the right. And we see that earlier in the night. I think Candice actually, because it's usually the person that sets it up, goes through that fucking thing. It could have been Neo. I don't remember. Put a ladder that connected from the commentary to the, the ring. And uh, she's trying to get up there. Yoshirai has been taken out. She's on the on the floor. She gets back in, she sets up a ladder next to Candice, and another ghost face comes out and tries to take out Io Shirai. She knocks her off the ladder, but Shotzi Blackheart intervenes, takes her out, and uh, she was, or the, the person wasn't able to fulfill 
what they were trying to do to help Candace win. So, you know, we have EO on the ground. Candace is getting closer and closer to it. And uh, what you call it? Uh, EO goes through one table that's in the middle, the one she set up, takes the one that Candace is fucking on, pushes it over. My God, I have bad knees. So this just made me cringe so bad. Candace, the way she fell, she w- looked like she went knee first, both knees through the fucking ladder and then just fell over. And uh, there was a the, the more kayfabe uh, concept of certain people getting injured. They say Kyle O'Reilly did, Damian Priest, Candice LeRae. But when it comes to it, apparently she did suffer some stuff, but she's just taking a week off and she'll be back to work. But Candice ended up not winning. You know, you talked about this. She didn't meet where her husband met. She didn't win the NXT Women's Championship. Io Shirai retained it. It was a brutal ladder match. And that last spot was one of the most gnarly ladder spots I've seen in a very long time. That looked terribly painful. It was like equivalent to when Andrade Sunset powerbombed Finn Balor to that one ladder that was attached to the ladder and just fucking bounced off it. Like, God, dude, I don't need to see people's bodies get fucked up like that. But uh, hope her knees are okay. Good match. What did you think, Chris? I thought it was a very good match, but I have a little bit of fatigue with ladder matches in NXT at this point. I don't blame you. I would have preferred something else to happen on this wheel. Um, I mean, they tried really, really hard, and there was definitely some very scary spots. So I don't want to take anything away from it because I think it was a good match. I just personally, I could go a while without seeing another ladder match in NXT. Yep. All right, let's start off AEW Dynamite. So the first thing that happens on it, we have Dasha talking to MJF and Wardlow uh, before his match. Um, or Wardlow's match, I'm sorry, with uh, Adam Page. And, you know, she's asking Wardlow about, you know, advancing and maybe getting that championship opportunity, um, you know, that MJF wasn't able to do against Moxley. And MJF was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Total Ted DiBiase in a, in a way. You know, he if he advances, I take his place, basically. Isn't that right, Wardlow? And Wardlow begrudgingly says, yep. Um, and then we have Sammy who comes out and he's bitching out fucking, you know, MJF. And MJF calls him little buddy again, even though they're the same size and asks him where his jacket is. You know, making fun of uh, the fact that he's young, even though, like, I, I'm pretty sure MJF's the same age as him. So there's that aspect. And also says he looks like the guy that would sell Adderall at high school. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? Even someone get, giving him fan art uh, later on. So I thought that was a fun fucking promo. Just MJF being MJF, man. Uh, what'd you think? Yeah, this was a, a fun opening to the show. It with The Adderall thing had me in stitches there for a bit. Um, but yeah, it's good opening. I, I, de- I didn't necessarily care for the town hall later, but we'll get there. All right, so we have the Wardlow versus Hangman Adam Page match. Pretty damn good, solid match to start off uh, AEW Dynamite. Um, I think that the thing that's good about this is that they were just beating the living hell out of each other, but for the most part, Wardlow was controlling Adam Page and dominating. Page would just use you know come back. Uh, but the ending... I think saved the fact that Wardlow lost this match because he gives him the buckshot lariat 
And he doesn't even go down. He goes down to like a knee and starts getting back up. So he goes and does it again on the other side and just does it right to the back of the head of Wardlow. One, two, three. Adam Page advances, kind of makes it very uh, – we know what's going to happen in the last match, basically, even more so than before. And, you know, I was saying that this was very formulaic. Like, I knew, I thought I knew how the pure tournament was going to go, but my concept of what could happen ended up happening, and Hot Sauce Tracy Williams beat Jay Lethal and is now going against Jonathan Gresham in the finals – of the Ring of Honor Pure Tournament. So they changed it up. AEW did not do that, which I'm fine with also, because it makes sense storyline-wise. But I thought it was a good, hard-hitting match. Wardlow continues to impress me. Give that man, once he's done with MJF, a babyface turn. Give him a Goldberg run, because he could be like a Goldberg, but he works like a Mike Awesome, which is really good for you guys. He's a fucking... He's he's a very athletic dude for his size, and I think that he could be a really good babyface if positioned Adam page looks good in this. He's, he always fucking looks good except for when they're making him look like a, uh, a silly drunk. Um, but match wise, he usually puts it on and becomes a cowboy. So how'd you like this match, Chris? And, uh, was it too on the nose that obviously page and Omega would win inevitably in their matches? I didn't have a problem with it because it just builds to they, – they did a good job of setting up the Ray Phoenix-Pentagon feud as well. So Pentagon essentially lost them this title opportunity after losing to Ray Phoenix. So it sets up that storyline. So I don't have a problem with it. I don't, I don't think it's too on the nose because at least they had a plan for either outcome, right? So, yeah, I, I like this match. I thought it was very good. I love the finishing sequence because it, it put over Wardlow like a million bucks, being the first guy, I think, to not just get demolished by the Buckshot Lariat. And, man, re- really good stuff from Wardlow. This, uh, I'm trying to think if I like the Cody match better, that cage match, but both both of the matches, both of the matches he's had with high-profile guys have been great. And I think for sure... Uh, he does the diesel turn on MJF. This is a guy you could get behind. He's probably the best big guy they have on their roster as far as someone fresh and new that you can build around if you're trying to have like a big champion, like a Kevin Nash of sorts. I agree, man. It's going to be very interesting. Shit, it might happen. Uh, you know, this might be a situation where we're just talking about Raquel and uh, Dakota. Might be a situation where this goes down at full gear. Who knows? Um, but we'll get to that once we get to the meat of that town hall thing to talk about their match. Um, so after that, because I'm in the wrong spot. Well, actually, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick while I find out where I am in the fucking uh, show. Um, got announced. Pac's going to be making an announcement uh, about his future in AEW next week. We saw Pete Dunne, who was just in the UK, show up. Obviously, travel is still – I don't think that they're doing big commercial flights from the UK to the US due to the coronavirus. But obviously, Pete was able to travel to come over to here. Pox looks like he's coming back and will be a great person to add into the mix in AEW. Are you looking forward to seeing Pac return and what he's going to say, his promo, uh, next week? Yeah, I'm stoked for the return of Pac. I think that's going to be absolutely incredible. Um, he was ha- on such a good run before COVID when he was cutting those promos and having 
uh, two or three good matches in a row. I know one with Kenny Omega specifically was really good, and one with Moxley that was really, really good. So I expect him to be at the top of the card when he comes back. Um, but yes, I'm excited to hear what his announcement is. And as far as travel goes, I mean, it helps when the owner of the company has private jets and shit. Exactly. <laughs> so I would assume that if he wants to, if, if, if he's cleared to travel and is healthy, um, the cons can get him into America. That's what I'm assuming. All right. So we had a promo with John Moxley talking about Eddie, Ed, uh, Eddie, Eddie words, Eddie Kingston. Um, I like these because they do them really well. You know, they have flashes of Eddie, uh, you know, kissing his rosary during this. And Johnny's just going down about, you know, basically saying he's going to make him quit. How I just love the ending where he said, protect your neck, because I love Wu-Tang Clan. And uh, I'm always going to like stuff like that. But I thought this was a really solid promo from Moxley. And I can't wait for him and Eddie Kingston, man. Uh, more so because of Eddie, actually, than Moxley. But still, their promos have been on fire. What do you think? I thought this was a really good John Moxley pr- promo. I mean, he hasn't disappointed with his promos at all since coming to AEW. Uh, the protect your neck thing, I thought that was pretty cool. Once again, I love Wu-Tang as well. Uh, but <laughs> it's also kind of a shot at Eddie Kingston, who's from New York. So I kind of like that also. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that match. I don't think Eddie Kingston's going to win. But I, I could be wrong. Yeah, man. I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Because Moxley's kind of like he's losing a little bit of his flavor, man. He really is. Yeah, but in the wings, you're going to have either Hangman or, or Omega. And I would think that those that one of those guys would be the successor to Moxley's title run. Yep. All right, so we had uh, Eddie Kingston come out. He was with the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny. They showed, but most of us don't watch. I'm glad they're doing this more, actually. Uh, what happened on um, Dark, uh, in which Bunny basically came out dressed, or, you know, QT Marshall was wondering what happened to her. They had their match, and then they come out, and she's as the bunny, and basically they just beat the living shit out of QT Marshall. They said that he, she maxed out all of his credit cards and uh, you know went back home, I guess. So that's a fine, small explanation. But the promo Kingston gave was great. Um, Kingston is alone in the ring with, with uh, a microphone. He says, our world champion Moxley is a coward. And he decided not to be here tonight. He tells the cameraman not to enter his world and tells him to get out. He says he's hoping Moxley is watching from home and says he's going to fight anyways. He brings up Lance Archer. Oh, he brings up the fact that he still wasn't eliminated. And he's like, hi, Lance. Or he lost, basically. Him and Jake Roberts look pissed. So hopefully that will come back around at some point. Maybe we'll be seeing Kingston go against Archer. That should be interesting. Um, so, yeah, that was good. And he had a match with Matt Seidel. Matt was getting the better of Kingston in a lot of aspects through his match. But inevitably, he would lose uh, with that submission lock, um, which I'll get to how I feel about that in a second. But um, Eddie Kingston chokes him out, and he continues to. The ref's trying to get him off, but the bunny comes in with a microphone, and basically he's pretending that 
Matt Seidel is is John Moxley and makes him say I quit in the microphone before taking it out and just look possessed. Um, so good visual. Eddie Kingston's an outstanding performer. So I can't really say anything bad about that. What I can say is bad. Could have picked someone else besides Matt Seidel, which you've only used on AEW Dark. I think he has four wins, and this would be his first loss, maybe a second. But, I mean, if you know what would be really impressive? If Eddie Kingston beat Luchasaurus in a singles match because Luchasaurus has size over him, and he's got to be able to still maneuver with him and, and beat him with punches and stuff like that, or someone else. Matt Seidel is, you know, I'm not saying that he's like this huge legend, but he's done, he's got some accomplishments. He's got tag team championships in Japan, New Japan, uh, WWE, uh, Impact, I believe in Ring of Honor. He's won, you know, the X Division Championship. He's got probably, arguably the greatest RKO in in history of taking it, doing his shooting star press into it. I, I just feel like you could be using him a little bit more elevated. This goes back to Rusev and, uh, and Matt Cardona, or or should I say, uh, which what's his Miro? I don't even fucking know Rusev's new name anymore. That's how much I he's just out of my mind. So I don't know. I think that you could have picked someone else besides Matt Seidel, but he didn't look bad in the match. He was kind of getting the better of Eddie for a good portion of it. So there's that. How'd you like the match, Chris? I mean, I, I thought the match itself was good. They, I like the intensity that Eddie Kingston showed. I did like that he forced Matt Seidel to say I quit because it plays into his match with Moxley. But at the same time, I hated it because you just brought this guy up to immediately lose on his first night on TV. So unless Seidel's just done or he's not officially signed with AEW – that was a really weird decision. Like, couldn't you just have him choke out Evil Uno or something? Yeah, that would be perfect. I Ugh. mean, it's just it's it was just weird because if you don't watch AEW Dark, what we've seen of Matt Seidel so far is him busting his ass on the pay per view and then getting choked out by Eddie Kingston. It's, it's really hard to rehab someone after that. But they let us know that if we haven't seen, he's gotten five wins on AEW Dark against whoever the fuck he beat. Then take that extra three minutes to put together a highlight reel from those matches of him getting wins. Yeah, there you go. All right, so the next thing I really liked, it was a segment with the Young Bucks and FTR talking to Excalibur. The reason why I like this is because it played into how fans, whether you are an FTR uh, fan and or Mark, or a Young Bucks fan and or Mark. Um, because the way that they're perceiving this, I thought Matt, you know, I've been saying Matt and Nick and Kenny all have a problem with not playing wrestler, basically. Like, they don't look like, they look like they're trying too hard with the act and then they come off just fake. Matt actually looked legitimate. And Excalibur's talking to them in the same room. And we have FTR via satellite somewhere else with uh, Tully. And uh, Excalibur immediately goes and starts talking to them. Scott kind of cuts them off talking about the match and how, you know, he's not worried about the concept of a dream match. You know, he just thinks that the whoever has these championships belts is the best tag uh, tag team within the sport of professional wrestling. And that's all he cares about. He's not worried about this being a dream match. So once again, Excalibur starts going more into with Matt and Nick about their their, their behavior as of lately, 
And Matt's kind of he's whiny, but it's like this is this is who he is. He's he's passionate. He's like, yeah, you know, have we done some messed up stuff lately? But do I regret it? No, I don't regret anything. He's like he's like we've been acting out basically. And Nick's kind of like Spicoli. He's just chill, like yeah, you know, just making noises every so often. Like um, he kind of reminded me a little bit. I know it's a random ass take, but it was an almost famous. Where the lead guitar starts freaking the fuck out and starts bitching at the manager, and like the bassist is like, "Can't we just get some tacos, man?" Like you know that was Nick's role in this. You know he was just chill and stuff like that. But I thought Matt did a pretty good job in this promo. But getting to it, this kind of the thing that if you're an FTR fan, you're gonna agree with them. If you're not, you're gonna agree with the Bucks. FTR is like, "Fuck this, we're done with this shit." You got, you're not gonna even address questions. Like they already said to Excalibur that he only has a fucking job because of them. Just being really insulting, and then they leave and they finish the uh, conversation with Matt and Nick uh, to end the interview. But I thought this was good because if you don't let, this is getting people more invested in the fight because they haven't done a good job of that beforehand. They're kind of negating now, which I think is stupid. The fact that they were acting like heels and trying to position now as baby faces, whatever. They had a dark time or a dark period or whatever the fuck they could say. Uh, but if you're either like an FDR fan, you're like, why the fuck do they keep on talking over the champs and why does Excalibur only care about them? But if you're a Young Bucks fan, it's like these guys are assholes and they fucking left. Fuck FDR. You know, the Young Bucks, they're the better team. Like, so. I think that's good, and I think the segment was good to put a little bit more into this feud that shouldn't have been hard, but somehow AEW kind of sucked the life out of by taking forever and making the Bucks go in a heel direction. So I like this. Uh, what do you think, Chris? I like the segment overall. My The glaring issue is the Young Bucks saying, if we lose, we'll never. Oh, yes. Ugh. Poppy, get out of here. I feel like it's just too soon to go back to the well on that, and you have to have the Young Bucks win now because they're always going to be a big part of your tag team division. There is no other title for them to go after. Whereas Cody, what happens if they get a draw? That's what I want to know. That's a loss. Is it? I consider that a loss. <laughs> you didn't win the titles. <laughs> In a draw, right? They could finally I'm, pull a DQ, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could do a time limit draw. I wouldn't be against like a 30-minute FTR Young Bucks match. That'll probably be pretty. That's probably what they're going to do anyways. So <laughs> if they if they want to go that route, but I'm assuming that they're just, you know, they've protected FTR. FTRs beat everyone they faced. They're undefeated right now, right? And at least tag matches. So. You know, them taking a loss isn't a huge deal here. It's just, I don't I don't know why you even needed the stip, and I don't necessarily care for the way the Young Bucks have been used the past month on TV. I agree with you, and I also don't like the fact that, all right, say they legitimately have the Young Bucks lose, that will be fucking absolutely stupid. Just like Cody. Yeah, uh... And like I said, it's at least with Cody, you have other title. Like you have the, you have the at least the TNT TV title that he can hold down, you know. But with with the tag division, if they lose, like what the fuck are they gonna do? Become singles wrestlers? I'm wondering, just because they put him on the show all of a sudden out of nowhere, 
he's stacked up all these wins. He's actually number one, but not actually in the fucking tournament because he has 14 wins with Sean Spears. Maybe you can have involvement with him since Tully came out with him. And they were like, look, Sean Spears still on the show. And Tully's still his manager. And he's got all these wins. You know, I don't know if they tried to involve him in the match, you know, to cause it to be a fucking DQ or something. But just they have to do something. The stipulation should have never been put there. It's stupid. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I think the Young Bucks are going to win. Now, I I get what you're saying about you're either an FTR fan or a Young Bucks fan. Um, I'm a fan of both. Uh, but, I'm, a, you know. I'm a fan of both, but it, as far as who's the biggest heels right now, uh, fucking the Young Bucks super kicked Tony Schiavone. That's like the most heel shit you could ever do. <laughs> like... You're not going to – there's no way you can convince me that they're baby faces going into this. So the story, that's what I'm saying. The entire last month, the way they used the Young Bucks really, to me, hurt this match. Um, but it's it'll be a good match. Like, they're going to go out and have a really great match. I just I, – the story and the stipulation has kind of killed it for me. Yep. Tend to agree with you. All right, so the Inner Circle Town Hall was next, and Dasha and Tony were in charge of the segment. Um, once again, they are definitely playing and mocking off of the presidential debates and the, obviously the presidential Town Hall. Uh, they introduced Chris Jericho and in the Inner Circle. Judas plays. All right, I got to say this, Chris, right, right off the bat. I love that the Marks love this, the lyrics of Judas but it's now starting to get on my fucking nerves. I think I finally got to that level with them singing the rest of the goddamn lyrics is fucking annoying. But if fans are going to do it, I guess they're going to do it. I just feel like Chris Jericho, I don't know. He's just, uh, is he nostalgic over his own music? Is this, is this, is this tickling and, 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 and pertain to his ego? Uh, I mean, he's probably excited that there's that many people singing his songs who wouldn't be right. But I, I don't they, there's nothing they can do to stop the fans singing it. Yeah, I guess they could just well yeah, I guess you're right. I mean but, they, they um, would have to they would have to change his music. I mean it's the same thing with Kurt Angle and the You Suck thing. Like people continue to do that shit like <laughs> way after the man was a Hall of Famer. <laughs> the only way you can yeah. really get around it is to change their music at some point. Alright, so um then they get MJF to come out, and they have a series of questions. Basically, people are going to be asking them about certain things, like a town hall, basically. Uh, so we first had Luchasaurus, um, still claiming he's a dinosaur. Yeah, whatever. Who asked bringing MJF into the inner circle benefits them financially? Uh, MJF shows a graph, and previous before uh, was before pre-MJF. They're doing pretty well. You know, but post MJF, they'll be excelling way above. Doesn't have reasoning or anything like that, like most politicians. Uh, but that is what he says, and people are booing him. And he's like, "It's just math." Um, Britt Baker comes up with Reba. Reba gets really weird. They do a spoof of what happened at the town hall with uh, Donald Trump, where the girl with the glasses was like, "You just, you have, you have a nice voice, or you have a nice, you have a handsome smile." And Reba's like, get the fuck out of here. Why are you acting like a weirdo? Then has MJF's uh, bad history with relationships with other wrestlers in AEW, how that's going to affect everything. And, you know, he's getting a little bit aggravated about all these accusations, but Chris Jericho wants him to answer it. 
And then we go to Peter Avalon, who asks um, if he can join the inner circle, which everyone laughs at him and tells him no. And the only thing that the only thing I liked out of this was the ending where they have Eric Bischoff, who said he'd never show up again. You know, hey, I guess they uh, pulled him back, who came out with these notes and put them in his pocket and stated that, you know, back in 1960, JFK, you know, said, do not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Basically, what can you do for this group? And MJF's once again kind of aggravated by accusations. Uh, he brings up that, you know, Chris Jericho is is kind of a, uh, a prima donna. And Jericho is pissed off about this. He's like, what? Wait, wait a minute. I've never liked you. I've, I've, I've said that many times. And uh, my favorite part of it was obviously this next part where, where Tony goes, Chris, Eric Bischoff has the floor. And Chris starts bitching and he goes, Chris, shut up. I don't know if they were trying to mock the whole Biden-Trump thing. But uh, Chris, shut up after that. And uh, also said that MJF is also a prima donna, which MJF does not like, and says, you know, how can you guys coexist? How do we not know that you guys are not going to kill each other? And MJF doesn't really want to answer. But Jericho's like, no, no, no. If you come in here, how do we not know that you're going to cause problems and and butt heads? I'm the leader, basically. And MJF's like, you know, after everything, after steak dinner and me giving you your best segment, you know, and every all the jackets and everything that I've done for you guys – this is what I get. And Chris Jericho says, you haven't done one thing. You haven't beaten me. So they set up a match for full gear between the two of them. If MJF wins, he joins the inner circle. Uh, after that, Ortiz comes out who also in this thing that I really didn't like all as a whole, Ortiz did a good job where he's like, you know, he just tells him to shut up. He lets him know that him and Sammy don't like him. You know, Santana might be on the fence about it. Jericho might be on the fence. Jake is having a mat or a fight. And training for it, but him and Sammy aren't down with them. So next week, Wardlow and him versus him and Sammy uh, in a tag match. And MJF gets set up in a match with Jericho. So I have an idea of where this is going. But overall, as a segment, I thought it was stupid. If it wasn't for the involvement of Eric Bischoff and also that last part with Ortiz just taking the mic, you know, the whole Tony thing, telling Chris to shut up, that was about all that I really cared about. Everything else was just... Um, but hey, thanks for trying. Can we get past politics? I'm glad the fucking election is coming up soon. Jesus Christ. Uh, what'd you think, Chris? This went way too long. And all all we really needed was the one Eric Bischoff question. (laughs) So, uh, you know, there was some good stuff here. Just to me, it it just seemed like it went on and on and on. Um, some of the jokes didn't land. I liked, you know, Tony telling Chris Jericho to shut up was pretty funny. Uh, and I liked the intensity at the end that both guys got to. But my fear is they're just setting up a finger poke of doom because Jericho's been doing a lot of goofy shit lately. Ugh. My ideas with this, and I don't think this is just my idea of booking, and I have no idea if this will happen, but I could see it going a couple ways. Chris obviously does not care to try to put over other people. So I see Chris taking the loss. If Chris beats MJF, I don't know what the fuck that does for anything. It's just, okay, I guess we're just done. I mean, okay, that's fine. But it could be that MJF was doing all this to cater to Jericho's ego to get him because he knew it 
would eventually come down to him wanting a match against FJF so he could fucking beat him. And he doesn't even, when he wins, he doesn't even want to be a part of the Undisputed Era. That could be an aspect. Um, or he could join Undisputed Era. That could be an aspect. Or MJF, this kind of goes to, if you have the Young Bucks uh, going against FTR earlier in the thing, maybe a group effort might happen where we have, you know, if this, that whole thing with the horseman concept coming out and shit like that, maybe MJF has other people. I'm not saying necessarily that it's be FTR and Sean Spears, but maybe he has a new group that comes out, even though he beats Jericho, they just decimate them and he doesn't join. So my ideas would be him not joining, this being his plan all, all along, and saying fuck you to, to Jericho, basically, causing more problems with them, I guess, going forward. Him having his own group and doing a similar aspect, but having a group behind him uh, to really lay into the inner circle. And then we have them, I guess, going full force against each other. Because um, that would equal out the amount of people. You have a tag team uh, with – if you are to do FTR and Sean Spears because Tully's a part of it or whatever. Maybe this is all a big thing that's been happening for a long time. You have Jericho that you can feud with MJF going forward. Especially if they put on a great match, which I'm pretty sure they can. Maybe you want more matches from them, like a series of three. Then you have – they're still the cool heels, but people still like them, which is what the NWO became, which is what they base this off of, while the other ones are straight fucking heels. Um, then you have, obviously, uh, FTR being able to go back and forth with LAX. They'd have great matches. You have Hager that can go with Wardlow, and then short, Sean Spears, I guess, against Sammy. You know, you can do some stuff is what I'm saying. Or – he joins the inner circle, which doesn't seem like it would be that satisfying at all. So I don't know. Yeah, I just I, I for some reason this just screams there's going to be just Jericho taking a pin, like no real match, and then the feud is actually Sammy Guevara and MJF. I mean that's that's what they're that's what they're booking. I don't think that they're doing, though, what a lot of people think is that at the end of it, all of a sudden he's in charge of the inner circle and they attack Chris Jericho. I don't see that happening. It could happen, but I just don't see it happening. That seems like something that would happen more down the line. It, it's more realistic to me that Sammy might just be the odd man out. Um, and then he will be feuding with MJF and Jericho will just go do other Jericho stuff. <laughs> that, that's my guess. I mean, that that's... I hope that's not the case. I hope they have an actual match, and even if you want to goo that storyline, you can just have MJF win. But, I don't know. It just seems, this this entire thing, and the way they did the dance segment last week, it just alludes to so many bad shades of WW, or WCW. I could see them just doing like a finger poke a doom type pin. Or Jericho just lays down in the ring and lets MJF pin him. I hope that's not the case. I hope I'm wrong, but that's... That's my gut feeling at the moment. Yeah. Um, I don't know. All right, so the next match that we had was Lumberjack match. It had pretty much everyone and their mother out there. You know, you had the gun club. You had the best friends because it was between Orange Cassidy, the rematch for the TNT championship the last time it was a draw against Cody. And you had all the Nightmare family on one side. You had uh, the best friends. You had all the Dark Order. So there's us all people that are involved in this feud. Uh, I hate the lumberjack stipulation. I think they could have done without that. I did, you know, if you have this where Arn and fucking Dustin 
come out and then they have the best friends in his corner. You could have done some of the good things about having that same way. You could have had like an ODQ match, you know, it's the same thing, but that would, you know, because we obviously, one of the big things is Trent hits Cody in the face. They catch Orrin Cassidy. They put him back up but later. They do the same thing with Cody and drop his ass. The best friends do. So obviously they're favoring uh, that. But um, I thought that, you know, when it came to believability, just because he threw more intensity, I think Orange Cassidy was was really good in this match. I really liked how he just started off going after Cody. He looked like he was going to go for the pockets thing, and he just fucking goes right into it, and the intensity did not slow down. I hated the suplex to the outside on all the people. I think shit like that's so dumb. Um, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that I think that, that Orange Cassidy was doing was awesome in this match. I really liked him specifically. And then inevitably at the end of it, he did he did his wraparound, Hurricane Rana DDT. That wouldn't get Cody out. He went up and did a jumping, you know, uh, DD or tornado DDT to him. That didn't get him out. He even did the thing where he puts him over him and drops him on his fucking uh, head and shoulders from the back. That wouldn't get him out. And uh, we had John Silver get involved, which was really weird. It kind of goes back to my idea of. Maybe the Dark Order looks at Cody as something more because of the fact that he beat Brody Lee. But he comes in, he gets involved, hits Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy goes over to Arn Anderson, who fucking nails him, and then gets the uh, what you call the code breaker. One, two, three. Cody remains the TNT champion. I hated all the people around the ring because this caused a big brawl afterwards. Everyone's fighting everyone. Baby faces are fighting baby faces, are fighting heels, are fighting heels. You know, just everyone's going at it. Uh, and Arn Anderson gets Cody the fuck out of there immediately after the match. Cody didn't see Arn get involved, so I don't know if that's going to be brought up later on. I don't know what direction this is going. It seems like, to me, this is more them making the audience think that a heel turn's coming, which I know a lot of people do, but Cody is actually going to still remain babyface. I don't think that that's going to happen. Arn might go a different direction and maybe join up with Tully to help whoever, but... I don't think Cody's going to go in that direction, and I think that he might actually address Arn next week because they're not like WWE where they pretend that a person wouldn't watch what the fuck happens with their match or get word from someone uh, the week right afterwards. So uh, interesting stuff. Like I said, I liked the aspect of their match the last time, but I liked the actual wrestling specifically by Orange Cassidy in this Lumberjack match. I just didn't like the Lumberjack aspect. You could have had involvement from Trent and Arn Anderson and even John Silver coming out and throwing that added twist into it. Like, why the fuck is a Dark Order guy helping out Cody? But they did it their way. So whatever. What'd you think, Chris? I thought it was a pretty fun match. Uh, I like like you said, I like I like this version of Orange Cassidy. It seems like when something is on the line, he turns it up a notch. And that's what I expect that character to do. Uh, as far as I know, the reason they were doing the Lumberjack match was to keep Dark Order from getting involved. Because but they he was got, the Lumberjacks. That's where it gets stupid. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that's, that's more of the problem, is the idea of them doing the Lumberjack match was to keep Dark Order from getting involved because they got involved in the match uh, the previous week. But then they made them some of the Lumberjacks and still did a fuck finish. So, ah. Uh, that 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 was a little bit weird. I know why they did that. They they were protecting Orange Cassidy, really. Um, but yeah, it's just silly. I'm assuming that 
this is just going to be Silver feuding with Orange Cassidy and the Best Friends versus the Dark Order, probably on the prelim or something on the pay-per-view. Yep. All right, so we're back from the break, and we see Best Friends walking down the hallway when they are approached by Kip Sabian and Miro. Uh, they have a present for them. In walks Penelope Ford with a gift. She says, trick or treat. Best friends say neither. Miro and Kip Sabian end up beating them down, and it's the controller to the arcade unit inside the wrapping paper. I could care less about this. I think this brings the best friends down. And also, fucking Miro. What the hell are they doing with Miro? I don't get this. You would think that a guy that complained about WWE holding him back would be able to say no to something. And if this is his idea, what are his ideas? Like, really? You want to be a giant monster gamer? That's going to get you over. Okay, great. Fucking stupid. What would you think? This was... I agree with you. This brings the best friends down who have been, you know, a big part of the tech division for a while now. And uh, I I don't care. I I don't care about their Twitch. I don't. The, the joke is old. You tell me you're going to grab the brass ring and now you're playing video games with Kip Sabian, who's barely on the product before you showed up. So I don't I don't care. I got to agree with you, man. I have to agree with you. All right. It, next. it makes you really it, it makes you really wonder how much of the the Rusev day thing was Rusev and not the other guy in English. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, so we had um, an announcement that, you know, Serena Deeb uh, was – flew in basically the night before she had a match on that primetime event that NWA is now doing, and she beat Thunder Rosa. Thunder Rosa signed NWA. She signed AEW. She beat her for the NWA championship and then came and went in this match and putting the title on the line against Leela Hirsch, who first time I've – no, second time I've seen Leela. No, first time because I went back and watched the other match when someone told me about it. But she had a match on Dark the night before against the AEW champion, Hikaru Shida. Had a good match with her, but lost. I'll get into my reasoning of that later on. On Dynamite, she went against Serena Deeb. I thought she did really well. She's she's a uh, she's strong. She's fucking you know just a, a a pretty badass wrestler. They had a lot of technical stuff going forward. Uh, but inevitably, you know, um, she missed the top root moonsault, however, and Deep followed up with a swinging neckbreaker and then another swinging neckbreaker. She then locked her in a submission finisher. Hirsch tapped out and Deep retained. Winner, Serena Deeb. And then following that, we had an interview with the Kurashida that basically Alex Marvez said, uh, you know, Nyla Rose has said on AEW Dark that, you know, even though she's next in line, she will only have a match with the Kurushita until she grants her that match. Uh, I guess so that there's no bullshit in it that, you know, trying to see if she's scared. Nyla, you want me, I want you. And she confirms a match for full gear. So the thing that is very weird to me, and I could definitely see. We'll see what happens next week because next weekend, a week from now, we're filming on Saturday, will be full gear. So they got one more show for the go-home show next week. 
I'm wondering if they're going to do something where Thunder Rosa comes out and attacks Serena Deeb, and we'll have Serena Deeb against Thunder Rosa on there. Maybe this will actually happen on a prime time, because what I'm trying to say is you had Leela Hirsch have a good match with Hikuru Shida on Dark. The next night, even this is filmed the week before, and even though Shida won, you then put her against the NWA champion, who is an AEW championship. This just makes everything look like the NWA World Championship is higher to me than the AEW Women's Championship. So maybe having two championships at the pay-per-view might not be a good idea and then let NWA handle Serena Deeb and Thunder Rosa with their rematch going forward. Interesting nonetheless. Very happy for Deeb. She is worthy to have that championship. She brings prestige to it. And I like that she literally had a up-and-go they didn't have enough time to change the face on the title to her face. It still had Thunder Rosa's. So she's a badass. That's pretty awesome. And uh, good showing for the new woman. Um, and I can't remember what her name is now. Uh, Leela Hirsch. I thought she did and showed a pretty good performance. What do you think, Chris? I have to agree with you. I, I think this was a very, very solid NWA win women's title match and they gave them plenty of time to work and, and Leela Hirsch I think looked great in this match it's the first time I've ever seen her work but uh Serena Deebsner had had a really good women's match and uh as far as the pay-per-view thing I, I don't want them to put the NWA title on on the pay-per-view I think it's just too soon for another title match maybe save it for down the line but Thunder Rosa is teasing where she's going to be going online so she has I, I don't know if you saw that where she had written on her hip like wwe aw nwa question mark pretty much so i i don't i could see them doing a title match at the pay-per-view i just don't know it does overshadow your own title if the idea is you're going to have serena deebs versus um thunder rosa that's going to be a better match than Sheeta versus nyla rose but definitely, definitely will. And not um, that Nyla Rose and Sheeta have had good matches. But, but Thunder Rose and, <laughs> and Deep have also had excellent matches. Yeah, so that, you know, I, I think you have, you've hit the nail on the head. It's probably something you don't want to do on your pay-per-view if necessarily. Because it is going to make the NWA title look more, well, it already does look more prestigious than their women's division title. And it's just because the women's division hasn't been built well in AEW. I mean, hell, the best thing they've done is bring in people from NWA. <laughs> so, Well, uh, we had Sean Spears come out uh, with Tully. Like I said, it's like, oh, he's he's here. He's, he's still there. They're still together. You know, because like I said, if you don't watch AEW Dark, which is good during this, they promote a lot of stuff from AEW Dark. They said, which is ridiculous that he wasn't in the tournament. He's got the best record. He's got 14 wins and two losses. And uh, maybe one of them was actually on the fucking on Dynamite. I don't remember the last time Sean Spears. So he's racking up wins on Dark, which is fine. But why isn't he involved in that tournament? I don't get it. Whatever. Doesn't matter. I shouldn't care about that. Anyway, so the chairman of AEW comes out. He goes against BSK, immediately gets him up for the C4 and covers him very slowly. One, two, three. Um, afterwards, we had a bear. 
uh, well, a guy in a bear costume, I should say, throwing candy in the ring, nailing Tully in the back of the head, and then Sean Spears a couple times in the face. Spears gets pissed off, grabs the bear, rolls him in, uh, is about to do something. He takes off his mask. It's Scorpio Sky. By the way, they're both racking up wins on, on, on Dark, and Scorpio Sky and him are in a feud, if anyone did not know that, once again. Uh, but Scorpio like, starts beating the shit out of him, and they finally get out of there, and him and Tully get to the back. Um, yeah, he hits the TKO on Spears. That's right. I forgot about that. So Tully gets him out of the ring, and then they go in the back. But um, just interesting. I'm assuming this might be something on the pre-show, or this will be on next week's uh, AEW Dynamite. Uh, but still, I mean, both guys are good in the ring, so they'll have a good match. They've had good interactions from what I've heard on Dark. It's just, like I said, this is another situation. It's weird building storylines on a show that has a limited audience compared to the one that you have actually on, you know, cable. So uh, what do you think about all this, Chris? It's, I actually like the squash match. I think it showed some intensity from Sean Spears, and it was good to see it on the primary products. And I like the idea of them having a feud with Scorpio Sky and, and Sean Spears if they're going to have it on the main product. But, you know, I, me going out of my way just for that one feud to watch AEW Dark each week is it's a tough ask. <laughs> with so much wrestling that we already consume, it's a tough ask. Yeah, I have to agree with you, man. I don't know. All right, so we got set up for next week. Uh, Jericho's on commentary. MJF and Wardlow going against Sammy Guevara and, and Ortiz. Uh, Miro going against Trent. We have Sean Spears going against... Okay, so I did not know that, so that's next week. Sean Spears going against Scorpio Sky. Uh, Cody and the Gun Club versus the Dark Order. Uh, John Moxley and Eddie Kingston have a face-to-face, so that should be good. Do you have anything... Are you excited about any of those? Like, which one are you most excited about, Chris? Mm, probably the Sean Spears Scorpio Sky match. That should be a really good match. Yep. Between those two, I mean, I, think I love that seeing adds... Jericho on commentary too. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, that that'll be fun having him on commentary. Um, I'm not excited that Sammy Guevara is probably gonna lose in that match. Yeah. I'm assuming that he's probably going to end up eating the pin. Um, and I guess, you know, the Dark Order thing is interesting just for the sense, like, I don't know why Cody would want a match against the Dark Order since they essentially helped him retain his title twice. <laughs> so that's that's a little weird. Because you that's said it's Cody, the Cody and the Young Bucks, right, versus Dark Order. No, that's the weird thing. So... Not only is it not the Bucks, not only is it not uh, the Nightmare family, so not Dustin and QT, which you would think would be, but they did get officially, even though, okay, so everyone, to let you know, Billy Gunn has been a, a producer in the back, trainer, he's always been signed, but his son finally got signed to a full contract, and now the the Gun Club is an official tag team and part of the tag division on AEW, so he's teaming with the Gun Club to go against the Dark Order, which I'm assuming will be, I don't know, uh, three guys from that group. One of them being John Silver. So, okay, that makes sense, because they gave him that big spot at the end of the Lumberjack match where they kind of cleared house a little bit, and everyone just like looked at him like, oh, shit, these guys are for real. These guys are not messing around. He does look like a mini Billy Gunn, dude. It's him and his mini me. It's so amazing. <laughs> 
But hey, I've seen I've seen matches with them tagging before, so on AEW uh, Dark is I think is the only time they've tagged together. Yeah, so that should be fun. Yeah. All right, so our last match might have been my favorite match of the week. Uh, well, actually, because I love Johnny and uh, Damian Priest, but I think after I just watched that Wardlow-Ilium Dragunov match, that might have been. And, hey, out of the four of those, you got three of the best choppers in the business. Holy fuck. Walter's got to be number one, but right after him, Kenny and Pentagon got to be, like, two and three. Because, God, Kenny's got those big hands and long fingers, and Pentagon just... It just starts off with basically ch- them chopping each other. So Kenny Omega, Pentagon, World Title Eliminator Tournament semifinals. And they go back and forth. You know, Pe- or Penta starts off with that big overhand chop, fucking loud as hell. Kenny nails him. And then he does the thing where he uh, takes off his, uh, his glove and goes to toss to the referee. Kenny intercepts it, slaps him in the fucking face. This is where it starts off. I mean, they did everything from their arsenal but they actually did it at a good pace uh they were you know there was some some psychology involved with kenny coming out uh revealing that underneath what he was his shirt was the mega championship rubbing it in phoenix's face because he beat phoenix for it um i don't know why he's going against laredo kid and not pentagon but whatever that's another thing for another day um but you know phoenix even got pissed off and was almost about to get in the match but great stuff. At one point, Pentagon gets his somersault uh, over the top rope, nails Kenny. Kenny also does his his uh, you know Terminator Topekan Hilo over the top to him. They're just they have such a very similar they're they're similar styled wrestlers in a lot of aspects. They they really are. I just think that Pentagon a lot of time is the better character overall thrown in there, and Kenny might be the better uh, wrestler. But Pentagon is no slouch. Um, I'm trying to think of like certain parts, you know, obviously when V trigger started coming out of nowhere, that's when it really got just where Kenny turned on and turned into the ruthless cleaner Kenny Omega, where he's fucking just nonstop. His eyes are just popping out of his head. He's got that weird facial expression on his face and he's just trying to devastate the, you know, the, the, the person on the other end. And Pentagon was just taking a lot of fucking punishment, just nailed here and there and everywhere. Then he got the better of him. They went on the stage at one point. Pentagon did a Panama Sunrise onto fucking Kenny, onto the stage, try to get him real quick inside. Instead of going for a pin when you've wasted too much time, he said, fuck it. I'm going to do my fucking my uh, pal driver, his package pile driver. Kenny still gets out of it, which is a little bit crazy. I know people were like, oh, that's a lot. It's that that's one aspect of modern wrestling that if you do it in a way, I wish that Kenny kind of just barely got his hand on the rope uh, like they were that that would be better. But it didn't bother me as much. But Kenny got back, you know, more knees to the fucking face. Finally got the one wing angel. One, two, three. Kenny Omega advances against Adam Page. I believe at full gear, which should be a great match. And uh, Pentagon and Phoenix have reason to have some more tension between the two of them. So maybe a full year? I don't know. Depends on what happens on the go-home show next week. But still, I don't know which match I like better because I loved – I mean, I was gushing about their match at All In. I thought it was the second-best match after Cody and Nick Aldis uh, on the show. And, I mean, there was an Okada match on there. It's, 
think it's more because Okada was going against Marty Skrull than anything, and they kind of went a little bit over. Uh, but you know, still, I thought it, they have they have good chemistry. I like their styles, very similar to Pac, very similar to lots of other wrestlers. Uh, and you know, he had a great match with Pac. He had two damn good matches with Pentagon, and I'm wondering what's going to happen between Pentagon and Phoenix. I also like Kenny's still kind of this cocky vibe. He had both ladies that do the broom thing, the broom dancers, I'll call them. Um, and Pentagon and Phoenix is mass, so there was that aspect. You know, this is a really good side of Kenny. If he can get better with his promos, I don't care that he's so formulaic. That's one thing that people complain about. You know what's going to happen and stuff like that. There's plenty of fucking wrestlers like that. I'm not comparing them on any level, and there's no way Kenny can even fucking hold a candle to Ric Flair when it comes to promos. But Ric Flair, you knew what he was going to fucking do in his matches. You knew that he was going to get hit into the turnbuckle, go fucking over the motherfucker, then get a little more energy, run across the apron, try to fucking jump and do a crossbody, which happened like maybe four fucking times. Get caught, get slammed off the motherfucker. You you knew that when he got him in the first figure four, it was going to get reversed, and Flair was going to get fucked up from it, but he'd still win with it later on. There's plenty of wrestlers that are formulaic that are known as being good in ring bell to bell. Like someone that would be different would be a Hulk Hogan because he kind of, you know, if he wasn't in Japan or before with AWA, he would he knew what he had to do in the match to get the audience popped. And he was also formulaic in that aspect, you know, but I don't think that is a problem with Kenny. Kenny's problem is him on the mic. He needs to get better with that. Using this version of his character, hearkening back, even though it's a little bit of a play on kind of everyone wanting him to, I think it's working out for him. And the intensity and the ruthlessness that he showed, that is the Kenny that I liked uh, when he had his match with Okada, matches with Okada, you know, through the G1, through Tanahashi. I like that aggressive. I'm gonna fucking kill this person. Kota Bushi later on when they were still part of the same tag team, you know that is the Kenny I like in the ring. And this is kind of maybe the second time I've seen any level of that. The one with him and Pac in the 30 minute uh, Iron Man match would be the other time. And even then, it's like he just had a great match with them. You know, I think Pac was the vicious one in this. Just just finishing it up. Sorry for rambling. This is the version of Kenny Omega. Cleaner, whatever the fuck you want to call him, that I like to see competing. Um, and I have no clue who's going to win. This is a really up there, you know, I don't know between Paige and him who's going to win that match. I would assume him, but I would assume Paige too in a lot of ways. So it's going to be interesting. Chris, what do you think? Uh, so... Oh. That's a lot to take in, but yes, I tend to agree with you. This is the version of Kenny Omega that you would be wanting as a fan. He He's just better when he is playing that crazy character, the one that's trying to murder Okada um, or murder his opponents. And I like adding some of the goofiness in a more intense manner. So like, for instance, the accolades and having the girl sweepers kind of poking fun at the internet a little bit. I'm okay with that with his character because that's kind of who Kenny is. Um, I thought the match was phenomenal. I loved the uh, Panama Sunrise onto the stage right into the package pile driver. That didn't bother me at all. I thought it was uh, was great. I mean, I think you covered pretty much everything else, but yes, this this was 
it's close for me, but this may have been my favorite match of the week. But I haven't watched the Walter match yet, so we'll see. Maybe that changes. All right. Um, before we get out of here, well, I'll just ask you real quick. Did you watch SmackDown last night? I'm sorry, what was that? Did you watch SmackDown last night? I did not. Okay. So I have not well, had a chance to watch it. I will say I'll just give a little bit of an overview uh, for the people listening. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to watch it, or if you did watch it, you can kind of uh, agree with me. I thought all the stuff with Roman Reigns was awesome. Um, oh, actually, I should probably ask you that. I don't want to be a dick because that, do, do you care if I reveal any of the spoilers of last night? No, I'm fine. Go ahead. All right. So basically, Reigns, the whole entire concept is Jay, he gets uh, praise. You know, he's talking about the whole I quit match. I thought they did a video package. Basically, Jay's not going to fucking, you know, he's not, he doesn't want to do it. He tells him he hates him. You know, Roman says, I love you, but you will, you know, bow to me by the end of the night. And this version of Roman, like I keep on saying, is just excellent. Um, just really, really well done. Like I said, I, I think I'm tripping, but I thought there was a time where they have, uh, you know, they had people come up on the screen giving their uh, okay with Roman Reigns, or at least I heard that. Maybe I was, maybe I was misinformed. I missed the, the first 10 minutes of this thing. So I was like, fuck, I missed the Roman promo, but just good stuff from Roman use of Jay. Uh, I would definitely check out the weirdness that's going on with uh, Buddy Murphy. Uh, not only did him and Aaliyah admit that they are in a relationship, that Ray, that Seth said that he would uh, marry them if they wanted to, and they told Ray, or he beat the shit out of Seth, told him to fuck off, and then Dominic came out uh, getting involved, but also getting involved with Buddy, and then they started fighting, and then Seth got out of there, then Ray started fighting them, so it was... Murphy was coming to apologize and try to talk and say that he changed. Uh, and then him and Aaliyah started making out to piss off Rey Mysterio. So that was, uh, that was interesting to say the least. Um, Street Profits had an awesome match. Once again, Martez Ford proves through his ridiculous uh, height that he has one of the best, uh, you know, frog splashes in the game. We had Bailey come out. Where else Sasha Banks was addressing everyone and saying that she wanted her rematch, essentially. Uh, and I think the biggest thing was Jey Uso went against Daniel Bryan for a qualifier match. Kevin Owens had one earlier uh, with Dolph Ziggler and won it. These are qualifying for uh, Survivor Series. At the end of it, Jey Uso ended up winning, and you could say that he, you could you could tell he was disgruntled, he was angry, he was sad of his mind. And after the match, we had Roman come out. And he wanted praise from Jay. Jay said, I, I think I get it now. I understand. You know, you are the tribal chief. You are the head of the table. And Roman looked over at Daniel Bryan. And Jay proceeded to beat the shit out of him, put him outside on the announce table, and do his splash through the announce table, going off the air with Jay saying, I get it. You know, I, I get it. I love you. All that type of stuff tributing Roman Reigns and now a heel working for Roman Reigns. So what we wanted looks like it's coming, Chris, with the Usos when Jimmy comes back. 
is going to be a unit with Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman, unless Jimmy has, uh, you know, an alternate view on the situation. But like that, I like the interaction with Bailey and, uh, you know, Sasha building up one last match for the rematch with them because it's called out that Sasha's never retained a belt whenever she's won it. And just the awkwardness that was Buddy Murphy and Aaliyah. God, it's turning into a soap opera, literally. But um, somehow entertaining, I guess. Any comments with this before we head out of here? That is a lot of random shit that they're doing with Buddy Murphy storyline. <laughs> How do you think um, Buddy Murphy feels about this? I mean, he has I'd be uncomfortable good. as hell. I mean, I, I'm sure it's uncomfortable. But at least he's, you know, if, if you go back and look what he, where he was a year ago in this company versus now, at least he's being used, right? And he's part of a major storyline. But yeah, I would. <laughs> it is a little weird, definitely unsettling. But uh, we kind of knew they were going to go this route. I just assumed that he would he would more align with the Mysterios than Seth, but I guess I was wrong. Um, yeah, and uh, she's going on 20. He's 31, I think. So that's kind of awkward. But then I think maybe it was a different time and stuff like that. My grandmother was 20, when she, 20 21 when she met my grandfather at a bar when he came back from the war, and he was 30, 31. But then again, that was back in fucking World War II. But, um, yeah, just uh, interesting. Uh, what about the stuff that I said with Roman and Jay? And now Jay is a uh, heel. He fucking put Daniel Bryan through an announce table. Look gnarly as hell. I think that's awesome. And it's kind of what I was expecting uh, after he lost the match to Roman is that he would need to fall in line. So it looks like we actually have a tribe that's like a little faction and a little Roman faction. And that should be great. Um, I'm assuming that... I'm assuming that we're going to get Street Profits versus the Usos. Yeah, probably. Which would be that happens going to Usos. Yeah, if they, that's I mean that's the best, but that's the best tag feud they have on SmackDown, as far as things in the pipeline. So at least we get we'll get a fresh matchup out of that, and I'm I'm excited to go back and watch SmackDown. I just haven't had a chance yet. You can skip certain aspects though, if you want. From uh, if you see it looks like it sucks, it probably did basically. All right. <laughs> I think that's it, guys. Uh, this is a pretty good episode, Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Uh, we love doing this show. We'll get to, I hope, knock on fucking wood. We'll get to two shows next week. Uh, we usually, on Thursdays, we cover NXT and AEW, the, the Wednesday Night Wars, the day after it happens. We'll get that show usually on Friday or Saturday. Uh, out to you guys, uh, any new listeners. And then we do a show on Saturday going over SmackDown Raw. Any pay-per-views involved with all of them will be on the same shows for whatever that is. Uh, but, yeah, just uh, good stuff all around. Uh, Chris, make some last comments and say goodbye to the lovely people out there. Goodbye, lovely people. If you uh, want to talk to me, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. I uh, recently did the horror podcast, so if you go to Geek Vibes Nation, you'll be able to see those are up. There should be, I believe there's three or four episodes. There, but there was, a, was a lot of fun. Um, and I have something coming up with Tia 
where we review uh, the Confessions Killer, which is a true crime documentary, which should be fun. That's coming out, I think, tomorrow. So, yeah, lots of good content for you guys to listen to. And hopefully I'll have a new Skates to Throats up for you hockey fans out there. Um, and Dane, as always, man, it was a pleasure. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, if you guys want to learn more about, you know, the main uh, website and everything, go to geekvibesnation.com. Geekvibesnation.com. On there, you'll find news articles from our various writers. You'll find links to our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter at geekvibesnation.com. Join the conversation. Join Geek Vibes Nation. You can find me on Twitter, DaneAlves42, and just DaneAlves uh, on Facebook. Message me. Let's have a little bit of conversation about wrestling. And, uh, yeah, I'll be getting, hopefully soon, another episode of Dane Rants Out. There's plenty to rant about, so I'll be trying to get that one out maybe next week. But uh, either way, if you want to listen to us on different platforms, I would just Google search. You can find them on the geekvibesnation.com website. They don't have all of them. Just Google Wrestling Geeks Alliance. You'll find Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, YouTube. Sometimes they put the audio on that and a bunch of other downloadable platforms for you to listen to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. But have a lovely day. Come back and listen to us next week. And let the Geek Fives be with you. Peace out, guys. Have a wonderful weekend and happy Halloween. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Bye, guys.